Welcome to another episode of Imposters Anonymous. As usual, if you're new to the podcast, I strongly encourage you to pause and take a moment to listen to the intro to the show. It's technically the first episode and is about seven minutes long, provides some pretty important context about the nature of this project and how it differs from most. Otherwise, if you'd like to skip the housekeeping altogether and just jump forward about a minute and a half and listen for the music, no hard feelings. There's not too much to report beyond that the project is continuing to grow its online presence, so if you're enjoying the show, for better or worse, we are now on Instagram and Twitter, so you can follow us there for some additional content or to reach out directly. But still, the best way to support the show is through subscribing to our Substack, which is a newsletter that offers supplemental content and in time will offer more interactivity for the AI community. That can be found at impostorsanonymous.substack.com. As I'm sure you know, any support is quite meaningful and helps grow the project. So I'm always trying to improve and expand things here. So reviews on Apple Podcasts certainly can help make that possible. But that's all for now, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. to Imposters Anonymous. Rachel, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. How, uh, how are you feeling today? Pretty good. I definitely got enough sleep last night. I woke up with that. You ever wake up with like that heavy feeling like you're like six feet into your mattress, but it's like mm. really positive? Yeah, I, Yeah, sure. I woke up with that <laughs> and that's a great way to start the day, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for you. That's you don't get that every night. <laughs> no, for sure. What about you? Doing all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. I this is definitely the earliest I've ever recorded. Uh, I guess to to make it clear, we're we're on six hours difference, so I'm I'm about an hour into being awake. So it's <laughs> I had to I had to kind of talk myself into to getting the whole speaking thing going. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing well. I can't complain. I think my I think it's usually my most productive hour or two of the day i think that's what maybe science tells us is that uh this is the ideal time to do things so i'm, I'm kind of leaning in on that but i'm feeling good that's fantastic yeah yeah so i'm kind of curious off top i know it's not something we've gotten into before but just kind of how this past year has been for you and and what i don't know i know there's obviously a lot of variables and that's a huge question but just in regards to like being where you've been uh, being in Spain versus being in the U.S. and and how that uh, maybe the positives and negatives just through this whole pandemic and and what it's been like for you. Oh yeah, that's um, for sure a multi-layered question. Um, I will start with the fact that we in Spain had a much more intense lockdown um, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Especially we had, I would describe it as house arrest. Um, you mm -hmm. were allowed to leave your house only one person um, at a time and you could go to the pharmacy or to the supermarket. Mm. Um, so, wow. and, and they, they do fine here, um, you know, so it was a, a strict lockdown. 
Yeah. Um, there, yeah, a lot. In fact, I remember one time my partner and I were up on the roof of our building doing exercise, which mm-hmm. evidently was off limits. Um, but we hadn't uh-huh. fully understood, and a heli- yeah. they had helicopters flying around. And uh, oh, the, geez, yeah, wow. the the president of our building ki- kindly, um, which. I will say with a hint of sarcasm, let us know that <laughs> we could be um, photographed and fined for that, um, which mm. was, I think, more of a scare tactic than anything. But it, it was quite intense, is what I will say mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, and then we've gone through a lot of different phases, you know, of then you're, we had a certain hours we were allowed to leave the house then to, to do exercise, you know, depending mm. on your age bracket. Um, and then it was kind of a free for all for some time. I remember at one point, actually, um, a buddy of mine had her birthday in October and it just happened to be a time period where it was almost like COVID didn't exist. And we were in a mm. bar, um, with nobody with their masks on, like really close. And we were like, wow, like this is like, yeah, (laughs) like something brand new. And then right after that, we got into like a more strict lockdown. And so our restrictions have just kind of been constantly uh, fluctuating. Um, Mm. It's been constant um, adaptation. Uh, you know, so so it's been interesting. Um, On the positive side, one thing I have um, kind of discussed quite a bit with people is uh over here it's the mentality i would say is a bit different than the states you know we have a very big uh individual freedom uh kind of mindset um, which has its its perks and its downfalls of course Mm -hmm. but i i have noticed um i think obviously that the united states have been very polarized uh over the last (laughs) multiple years (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know um and i would consider myself quite moderate as a person um Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you with the here we have a strong mask rule. You have to wear the mask all the time. If you leave mm-hmm. your house, your mask is on. Um, right. And and I, I, you know, I'm not I'm pretty comfortable with lowering it when I'm on the street and there's no one around me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if, if I'm on my own. Um, and, you know, or, or if I'm, I'm in a place that feels kind of safe, if I'm with somebody who or, or if I'm with some friends, I'll be honest with you. Um, and but if I'm with somebody who feels like very uh, intensely about it and wants to keep masks on, I'm very happy to do that. I think that helps mm-hmm. me, you know, just kind of be able to bend with the situation. I'm very comfortable in that middle ground. Uh, right. But I, I noticed that there's a lot more um, polarization, I would say, in the United States where you're either mm-hmm. like pro or anti mask um, right. or, or pro or anti quite a few things and maybe i'm mm-hmm. seeing that from the outside a little bit differently um but i have no this you're, kind not, of... you're not wrong <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah how would you describe it tell me a little bit more from your end um yeah i mean it's i like many things here in, in the states now it's everything is uh everything has become almost like a political slogan uh yes. in in some way or another and and masks have been a very unfortunate i guess manifestation of that that it's for everyone, it's it's a political statement. So you, it's it's immediately saying which side of the aisle you fall on is like whether yes. or not you're you're abiding by this regulation uh, or not. So it's um, I've heard it spoken to in a, in an interesting way in regards to like the uh, what's that Dr. Seuss story, the sneeches on the or yeah the sneeches on the beaches. Oh, I don't remember that. I one. don't know if you're familiar. No, okay. Well, maybe maybe that's a miss there. But essentially, uh, the the idea of the story is that there's like some sneeches, these characters that have stars on their chest or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's this kind of label of, of of who they are, and it's it's all about like it's a it's a great story about not discriminating against other people based on like surface level things, but for them, it's just like a star on them, and um, 
yeah, essentially that just comparison to, to masks and it being like, okay, if, if you, if you have this on, you're one thing, if you don't, you're another thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just been super interesting because obviously there's, it's a very complicated issue with a lot of nuance to it. And there's some pretty intuitive things about, uh, you know, the volume of spaces and, uh, what a, what a barrier does. And, you know, there's just so many things that, like to your point, if you're you're walking on the street alone, um, there's I mean there's 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 yeah. essentially zero percent chance that you're <laughs> you're impacting anyone. Um, but at the same time, to some people, seeing anyone not at any time feels like you're trying to say something, which is obviously not true. But for some people, it certainly is. So it's 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 difficult because I feel like I've had so many strange encounters with people over the past year where it's like you can tell people are like trying to make a statement by not wearing a mask. And you're just like, okay, uh, heard. I, I, I totally <laughs> hear what you're trying to say. Loud and um, clear. <laughs> I'll just, you know, keep my distance and all that. Um, but then I guess even to take it to the other side of the extreme, like it's just even in a totally non-politicized sense, um, like my grandmother who essentially hasn't really left the house like in a year, um, yeah when things really popped off, it was like, my dad was telling me that she was like wearing a mask, like in bed at home, like totally alone, you know, just like not even really like, there's just so much going on and so much information out there and, and so much misinformation that I feel like, um, not that she's harming herself by doing that, but it's just, I think people feel like it, it provides a certain sense of security or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and everyone has different comfort levels and, and different levels of understanding of this whole thing. So it's, it's, it's been tricky and weird. And, and as I said, just over politicized in every way imaginable where it's, it's just like everything that you do and say, it's, it almost like, I feel like there's a certain section of the population that feels like they'd be like denying their, uh, I don't know, their, their political party or something, you know, like they'd be like selling out if they were to wear a mask in any situation where it like wasn't, uh, you know, they didn't have a gun to their head over it, which is is never going to happen here because enforcement is, is actually quite, quite limited in almost all regards. I mean, sure, you'll have businesses that can deny people entry, but you can always deny people entry to your business for essentially any reason you want in America, um, (laughs) for better or worse. And, um, but as far as like the you know law enforcement actually finding enforcing laws, I mean that's that's been a big part of the problem at times here in the states. Is like we've had different mandates and regulations of all kinds, but at the same time, local governments, federal government hasn't attempted to enforce anything. So even when they're like, oh, businesses should be closed, businesses were open. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna lie. Like it depends on where you are, where you live, what counties you're in. Businesses were just saying, hey we're just going to still do it. And no one was enforcing it. So at a certain point, the same thing with masks. It's like, if, if people aren't, it, obviously it seems like really extreme to have like helicopters flying around and like taking photos of people and finding them. But like, I, it's, it's hard to find that happy medium of like, yeah. just saying, please do this. And we're not going to do anything about it if you don't, or like being like hyper surveillance, um, invasion of privacy, you know, just it's, it's a it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, and and that's another thing I would say in Spain, um, which has its its ups and its downs, like everything else. Um, but people here in in general, and of course, generalizations need to be taken at face value, um, are not as apt to to fight for change. Um, 
that's I mean, that's a conversation I've had with quite a few different people. If you look at French people, for example, I have quite a few French friends or um, like relatives who will say, you know, the French people are um, like almost always up in arms. There's there's constant like protests or mm -hmm. um, or strikes, you know, from from working or doing things. And a lot of Spanish people are, that we have a, a saying in Spain, actually, people say no pasa nada. And that's just like it's no big deal. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. And that's right. just kind of a, a very coverall, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Ah, well, you know, uh, this health insurance system was down for three weeks and nothing was able to be done with them. No pasa nada. You know, you just you just roll with it. And on that right. note, though, Spain has, I think, one of the longest uh, longevity. You know, um, the people mm. here live for a very right. long time. I think, you mm -hmm. know, there's a very relaxed kind of sensation, which is nice in its times and, and not nice in its other times, um, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So um, and, and that's the thing, as you said, like there's so many new nuances around this whole situation it's like developing continuously as we go i remember reading articles that you know using uh homemade masks might be even worse because they had gaps that were too big that would allow particles to enter but not to exit and you know mm -hmm. you know there, there's so many different kind of right. ideas surrounding it and and but it feels to me like oftentimes people in the in the states we have this need to have a stance and stick to our stance um right you know and that's a kind of a lot of pressure um so that was my kind of thought was here people generally just you know no pasa nada go go with it <laughs> do what you have to do and so it makes mm -hmm. it just a, like it takes that layer of um intensity you know and and yeah. need to stand you know stick to your guns you know i mean not to bring bring arms into this but you get my <laughs> reference <laughs> yeah. um so so in that way I, I find it a little bit comforting it, it took a a layer of of politicism off of off of my shoulders mm -hmm. if that makes sense um being over here right. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's super interesting i think i guess one point that i i don't want to forget is it i feel like a, one that i often talk about with my wife is like this kind of french question of, of sorts uh maybe there's another way of framing it but like to your point about longevity or inequality of life and that the french seem to kind of live forever and 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 be disproportionately healthy to the rest of the world but at the same time like they smoke and drink constantly <laughs> and like breakfast is like a, a loaf of bread and <laughs> and cheese and you're like wait this doesn't this doesn't seem to add up but um oh yeah here it's very common to um to see there's there's bars and when i say bar i mean kind of like a a small restaurant you know where you're getting something nice and delicious um but it's it's a combination of food and drink. Um, it's it's kind of harder to explain, um, but they you have you know like three on every block in Spain. I, I think it's mm -hmm. probably like their biggest yeah. source of income, um, which is great. There's a lot of life on the streets, um, so it's awesome. You're never in want of food or drink, but you see um, a lot of older people, especially at mm -hmm. 10 a.m. with their you know caña, their beer, or you know their bottle of mm -hmm. wine, and they're already going into it. And you're like, wow, you know we have. Yeah. Some very different conceptions about that kind of you know the relationship with health and and right. then beer at 10 in the morning um and and they live like forever yeah yeah no it's 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 honestly kind of mystifying in some ways as someone who's like pretty tuned into the to the health landscape and in, in literature that it's like clearly you're like they're doing a lot of things that are like tipping the scales in one direction but clearly they're doing enough on some other part of the spectrum that is clearly very important that uh they, they've got something figured out and i think classically the answer there is that they're 
they're less stressed <laughs> in, in yeah. some regard or another that that maybe has has much more of an impact on on an individual's well-being and, and longevity in the long term that we 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 seem to not do very well on that uh spectrum here in the states that uh it's it's definitely strange but i feel like even other countries like you go to italy or even like sicily and it's like your normal breakfast is like a pastry and a sorbet and you're like what how, how is this okay like why why are we struggling so much in america with these problems of, of health and uh longevity you know our our life expectancies go like gone, went down for the first time uh and, oh has it yeah i don't know if it's gone back up but like a, a year or two ago it went down for the first time like in history um i did not know that and yeah no it's it's not it's not that uh comforting but yeah i mean i guess to get back to my point it's it's just very interesting the differences in, in in cultures and how that that manifests itself and like just just the overall vibe of of how people exist in in the world and, and how much that can impact very tangible things like like longevity or or politics or you know just all the 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 downstream effects that uh, i have very limited experience too like mm-hmm. i've only really been out of the country like one time i I Mm -hmm. went to several countries when i was but um i i I don't have a whole lot of experience outside and so i I had a very brief experience with spain which which i enjoyed a lot but it was also one of those things it was just like a fun comparative experience to to just kind of look at how things were done there and and the things that i loved and the things that i was like okay i'm really glad i live in america Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) for sure it's i tried to have that lens where like of course when you're on vacation it's like everything is new and amazing it's vacation Um, you know you're in vacation (laughs) mode like you're you're just like in love with the world of course that's you know where your mind is right but then like you know no go ahead i I was gonna say that's why i i'm really i feel very grateful to i'm going on um i'm well into like my third year of living here by the time i leave i'm actually leaving this year i'm coming back to the states um and i'll have lived here for three years and Mm -hmm. i feel really grateful to have like that all-encompassing experience like be like no i i lived in it um only one city in spain you know Mm -hmm. so of course my my uh, concept is limited same as with the states. you know people often ask me like is this like this in the states and i'm like well, that really depends. And I'm not even comfortable answering that because as far as I've seen, no, but I have not seen, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the whole mass that is the states and its population and diversity. Um, right. But I, I feel like I've gotten a, a bit more of a chance to really kind of see those differences. And, you know, a lot of times people want to say, oh, this is the best place to live. You know, you know, of course you want to stay in Spain. It's the best. And, and in some ways it is, but I've kind of really come to realize that there's not necessarily a best place to live. You, You've definitely mm-hmm. got to choose. You've got to, you know, determine what you most value and what you're willing to lose. Because you're always going to lose something, no matter where you are. Um, and different things are valued differently in, in other places. You know, so so my mm-hmm. thought lately, especially talking about like longevity, you know, and and lifestyle is. Um, like Spain is beautiful. There's, there's this, you know, that no pasa nada kind of attitude, this kind of mm-hmm. comfort and just willingness to accept life as it comes and roll with the flow and live outside. And, you know, as I talk to, I do quite a few English classes with, um, with Spanish people as well. And, you mm-hmm. know, I also often ask, you know, what are your ambitions? What are your goals? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? Is there like, you know, something on your checklist? And mm-hmm. a lot of people just, um, you know, and they, they keep themselves active and learning and taking part in things and, and doing what they like. But, a lot of it's like, I, 
I just want to enjoy, you know, I want to see my friends. I want to have a family. Maybe I mm-hmm. want to, um, you know, be happy, um, which is, is beautiful, especially in the way that I feel like in the United States, we tend to have a really uh, difficult time embracing simplicity. You know, we've got burnout, you know, as a, a labeled, oh, yeah. uh, you know, health crisis, <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. you know, um, but on that flip side, you know, we have space programs. I just found out from another podcast listened to like the Hubble telescope is available to be rented out. It's very limited and expensive, you know, so oh, you and wow. me aren't going to get to it. But, you know, uh, uh, amateur <laughs> hey, astronomers. Know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> let me not put you down. Brandon, if you want the Hubble <laughs> telescope, like, go for it. It is available, um, wow. which is cool. You know, like the United States, there's a lot like a lot of things moving and shaking, as I, as I like to put it. Um, mm. So like the kind of opportunity and ambition is different. So depending on the, the kind of person you are, you have to choose, you know, where you fit best, mm-hmm. you know, is I think what I'm learning. Overall. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's something I've, I've gotten into a lot of different conversations about. And of course, I only have my kind of solitary American perspective. So this is this is all I really know. And as I just said, my, my experience outside of that is incredibly limited. But it's, it's a lot of times been a part of a conversation that kind of starts with people, I guess, we'll just say kind of bashing life in the U.S., yeah. And not that I'm like this ultimate defender of, of the states by, by any stretch, but I feel like a lot of times people have this idea that it's like, obviously, I would want to live somewhere else in the world if I could, uh, or that like, maybe the US isn't that great of a place to be. And my, my main question is always just like, but okay, sure. But where, where really would, would you go? Like, is there, mm-hmm. a, is there a clear answer to that question? Because obviously there's trade-offs wherever you go. And, and of yeah. course, there's plenty of places in the world that, that offer so much and, and so many different things than the U.S. does. But I think a lot of times people have these maybe over-romanticized ideas about like what it would be like if they lived in this totally different place uh, with a totally different culture. And, and of course, there's people that do it and love it and that yes. can assimilate and, and all of that. Um, but I think sometimes it's a, it's a very American thing to do to like forget uh, all the things that we do right here, despite mm-hmm. the, the very extreme degree of work that we still have left to do and, and that we need to fix. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it really just is a it's a matter of trade offs. And I think as you spoke to earlier, we, we value things like individual freedoms and, mm-hmm. um, and autonomy and mobility within a system. And, uh, even, you know, just the things like just being able to like start a business, like on the, like I could go start a business today, uh, yes. in like an hour, I could make an LLC, I could have all, all sorts of things moving in, in a moment. And of course, if that's not something that like appeals to you that much and you'd rather live a more, uh, how would I phrase it? Almost kind of reach for that middle way, if you will, you know, like, mm-hmm. I guess maybe not. That's, that's kind of a Buddhist thing, but that you, you just kind of want to spend time with, yeah, you, you want to live a simple life with, with your family, with your friends. There's, there's certainly something there that I, I, in many ways, wish I had more of and, and strive for that in life. But that's also because I live in America, right? So yes. like, I, I feel like I'm in the extreme of the other end of the spectrum all the time. So and yeah. I feel the need to kind of more so reach for that. But um, in fact, when I when I came here um, three years ago, I was going to come for a year. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was the plan, um, and then you know come back and and kind of get into whatever I was going to get into. Here I am into my third year. Um, 
and and I'm ready to come back. I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm in this mm. a bit of this transition phase. Um, and I have a, a few kind of thoughts around that. But when I came, I I was intentional. I said to myself, I, I need to slow it down. Um, I, I'm a very mm-hmm. um, busy and active person. And I, I thrive in that setting. I will be honest. I like to be doing a lot of different things at once, mm-hmm. involved in everything I possibly can. I just kind of like this idea of expanding myself as a person. You know, I kind of say expanding that threshold of possibility. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what you can do until you try some things. Um, I remember right. there was a commercial on Hulu years ago that said inside each one of us there is a pro and and i was like oh i love that concept like you Mm -hmm. can be amazing at something you know what i mean it might be like hurling barrels down a hill but like and and until you (laughs) try it you don't know right like and and i i watched a documentary once about a base jumper and and he was just kind of like one of those extremists and his wife um he, he had passed away she said he was this kind of person who was just always expanding his threshold of possibility and i love mm-hmm. that concept like he like he would race an airplane as it was taking off of course you know he wasn't going to beat the airplane but how close could he get you don't know you mm-hmm. know until you dig into it so uh, anyway i'm that kind of person um and i love that but i did find myself toward the the end of my uh, you know, era in the States before living here in Spain, kind of hitting a point of burnout. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I would find myself flip-flopping, you know, it was like I was in school, I was finishing up um, my engineering degree, which, you know, is, is a bit of work. I had started an organization in university uh, about sustainability, which I loved. Um, I was volunteering with some other organizations. I was taking part in that. I work like three or four jobs at a time, you know, just small mm-hmm. kind of jobs, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, right. And I don't know what else I had going on, but I would get to these points where I felt like I was going going, going, going too much. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. fuck it, I need to stop. So then, you know, the opposite always feels good initially. I mm-hmm. would find myself just like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm chilling. I'm not doing that schoolwork. That'll happen. And then I'd right. be like, after a few days of that, I'd feel like, you know, in my head, a low life or, you know, I was like, what am I doing here? You know, I got to mm-hmm. take advantage of my opportunities. And then I'd be right up on top again, doing, <laughs> doing, doing, you know, and it was like right. this up and down, which is so unstable. And so when I came here, I was like, I need to relax. I need to mm-hmm. enjoy simplicity. And it was amazing. Um, and I would say like that space, having space from that lifestyle, from everything mm-hmm. involved in that lifestyle gave me a lot of room, um, which was a long process, um, I would mm-hmm. say too, uh, to kind of dig through. Um, I, w- I was mentioning to you a little bit about that before we started, um, just kind of feeling like I gave myself too much space and I would describe mm-hmm. myself a bit as gaseous. Um, meaning, yeah. you know, my, I would say my particles were just occupying whatever container they were in. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just uh, absolute entropy, um, AKA chaos. Uh, (laughs) so, so then over some time and through a lot of work and, you know, personal attention, um, I mean, work as in self-care, going to some great therapy sessions, doing a lot more writing Mm -hmm. and and meditation. Um, I found myself kind of coming into what I would call a more fluid, um, position, you know, where, where I'm Mm -hmm. all kind of, you know, cohesive, but, um, but, but moving and bending and flexible. And that's something that I'm really trying to keep present as I'm closing up my time here. Uh, when I come back to the States, I, I, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready now. I'm coming back. I'm going to do a master's. I'm ready to get involved in stuff. I'm already making meetings mm-hmm. and scheduling stuff. And I, and I feel good. You know, I feel like I got my mojo. You know, that's mm-hmm. definitely where I thrive. But right. I don't want to lose, um, lose my grasp, uh, 
I actually more gentle, you know, lose my my kind of breath that I've gained here. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? You know, right. that that peace and that simplicity. And I want to try to kind of navigate that balance of, you know, being in a place where there is a lot of opportunity and you can, you know, have ambition and run with it, you know, mm -hmm. but you, you need to pause and catch your breath from time to time. Otherwise, you know, you wear out. Um, right. So, so that's kind of, you know, for me being an mm -hmm. American, you know, and coming from that background and, and definitely having a lot of that within me, um, having the opportunity to go somewhere else and let it really sink in, um, and, and try to kind of, uh, I guess, weld together those kind of cultures or ideas a little bit more, if that, right. makes, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. And I think it, it resonates with me a lot. I mean, I think that's, there's, there's a natural ebb and flow to life, just generally speaking. And I think a lot of people face that kind of as they, I guess, when you have kind of this coming coming of age experience, whether you're, you're going to college or you're just kind of experiencing the world as an adult for the first time. And um, I think it, it also is it's something that maybe comes to the forefront even more so for individuals who who go to college because you have this this period of time where. Sure, of course, some people, everyone has a different experience, but the the weight is is a little bit lifted for a moment. And you like you're experiencing the world for the first time, and I think some people really dive in, and they're they're just like all about their business, they're all about their grades, and they get it done. Um, that wasn't necessarily me, uh, but um, I think a lot of people enter this this period of this kind of personal renaissance if you will where they're, they're just very much experiencing so many things for the first time they're exploring themselves they're, they're trying to figure out who they are and weirdly enough i feel like a lot of people there's almost like more pressure uh in those years before college because you're like it, it's all about getting in uh it, it's all about you know building 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 and then, then you get to this environment where you're like oh like maybe I actually can take a little bit of a step back and you're more managing your own time. And so it's, it's up to you whether or not you study or, or you go to class or, or whatever it is. Um, and so for me, it was, it was kind of a similar experience where I was, I, I took a little bit more of a laid back attitude than most, I'd say to my college experience. And, and to be fair, that was always how I kind of fell academically where I, um, I just took more of a, uh, I don't know the best way to frame this without saying like I was just like a slacker, but um, fair. you were laissez-faire. Yeah, 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 approach. that's much better. <laughs> that's, that's much more kind. Uh, and and I always did fine in school. I was I was always a pretty good student, but I also tried my best not to like. I was never a burnout kind of person. And if I ever got to the point where I was working on something or I was studying late at night and I just like didn't feel like it was clicking, I was just like, I'm just gonna go to bed. Like I'm just gonna approach this tomorrow and yeah. see what's up. Um, but also at the same time, I, I was, I came from this period growing up. I was like very straight edge. If you like, I was, I was kind of that kid. I didn't, I didn't drink at all in, in high school. I didn't really do anything. Yeah, I was, same. I was very much like straight and narrow. I, I grew up rather religious, um, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Right yeah. So you, yeah. it was like, uh, when I went to college, it was like this, this period of expansion, as you kind of spoke to where I was, I was trying all kinds of stuff. I was, 
I was writing a lot, as you even spoke to. I was just really, really trying to push my boundaries. But then you you make it past then, and then you're kind of thrown out into the the real world, if you will. And you're like, oh fuck, like <laughs> I got to get after it if I want to get anything out of this. Um, and so I think it's sometimes you just kind of have that that ebb and flow. It's just periods of life, and it, it manifests itself differently for for everyone. But it's some. I feel like it's natural uh, to some extent to to experience those those times of kind of hyper productivity and yeah. industriousness and industriousness and drive and then kind of being like oh like this is this is maybe too much maybe I, I need to back off I need to take things really? a little slower I need to I need to enjoy these moments these are these these might be the you know the most uh, the most exciting years of my life and I, I need to be able to to really cherish that for what it is. Uh, but then that, that other itch, you know, it, it starts to crawl up a little bit and, and, and you have your ambitions and, and you have your, your dreams and, and the things that you want to do for the world. So it's those, those forces are always kind of, kind of fighting inside all of us, I think. Yeah. And I actually say I have a, a unique experience that I'm really grateful to have. Um, but I came to Spain in high school um, for a semester of high school. I did like a study abroad little program. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So I have like a, currently a nine-year relationship with Spain. Um, and mm. with that, a, a an extra family. Um, I have mm -hmm. a, a Spanish family that, you know, that took me in that time that has always been um, like my family. I call them my Spanish family, um, mm. you know, that they're my parents. Um, and they've been incredible influences in my life in a lot of ways. Um, and so I was similar to you, like in, in high school, I, I had taken a very religious track, a very straight and narrow, very strict. Um, and in that phase of my life, I would call myself very solid, um, mm -hmm. you know, where I was I was in one shape. And if it didn't fit, you know, if, it, if I was a square block, I wasn't going in a round hole and that was it. Um, and it kind of made my, my life a little bit um, pressured in, in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. And coming to Spain was a, the first time I really got a world uh, perspective, um, mm. you know, and I, I just kind of saw there are a lot of different ways to do everything. There's not necessarily one answer to anything. Um, mm. and, and it for me at that time, actually, what it did was made me realize I was quite a product of my surroundings. Um, mm -hmm. I felt that I was, you know, acting a certain way because I was in a certain setting. And then when I got to another one, I, I started to act kind of a different way. And when I left after those four months, I came back uh, completely different. You can ask mm -hmm. any. I, my Spanish family loves to talk about that even to this day. Um, we were just mm. visiting with them a couple of weeks ago and they bring it up again. You know, do you remember when you came and you were all, you know, religious talking about God and your chickens? <laughs> um, like, I, you know, I was, a, I, was a, I was a strange case. I still am, um, but just in different ways. And mm. and. Uh, I've had, I had a lot of conversations with them and with other friends um, in that time and, and it kind of opened me up and I came back like really mm -hmm. renewed in a sense of wonder at just like life in, in a in a whole, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so I started school, and, you know, as you say that ebb and flow, I started school like just very open, just like wanting to take life in and enjoy and appreciate and not having anything too strict. But, you know, mm -hmm. through the course, I, I had my own, you know, you have a constant up and down. I, I say life is, um, or I like to say time isn't really linear. I think it's quite cyclical, you know, but but expansive, mm -hmm. you know, I think you you always kind of come back around to the same lessons and the same things, but you're, you're expanding right. out as you cycle around. So you're learning it in bigger ways and new ways perhaps it takes longer to come back around you know because it does more mm -hmm. for you you know you're that's the ideal anyway if, if you find yourself circling and circling then i think it's time to ask you know okay what am i not doing here why do i just keep ending at the same spot i should be mm -hmm. you know adding on to this expanding
zooming out a little bit further in it. Um, right. So like as a whole, and now as I'm saying that, I'm realizing once again how grateful I am for this longer term experience at a different point in my life um, because mm-hmm. I have hit back on a lot of those same kind of topics and ideas, but in like very bigger and, and newer ways um, that mm-hmm. have a, a larger influence uh, in my life as a whole in the directions I'm going now. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Where no, would you say a... like you are in your ebb and flow? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I, to be fair, I think because we're speaking right now, I think I'm, I'm a little bit in a, uh, I may be in a little bit of one of my more driven places, if you yeah. will, that I, mm-hmm. I, I just have a lot going on right now. And even starting this whole project was, uh, in, in a way, of course, there was both forces had a, had a play in this decision. And I think I, I had a desire to, to expand myself personally and, and to explore that and, and to just to try to, to find the, the balance of those two just general drives in this experience to not make this something that I had to be like the most uh, focused on, on growth or, or making it something big or making it something really uh that that was that was built to scale and anything of that nature and to start it it was something where i was like i i I need to be able to be okay with the fact that maybe no one listens to this like maybe maybe it's just me and my guests and and we're just trying something out here and i'm i'm the the value is intrinsic on top of wanting it to be something that that more people could experience and, and be reached by and be involved with um so I, I think by nature, on a day-to-day basis, I find myself more occupied by just doing all the things that it takes to to make this happen. And I'm working on some other things as well. And, you know, of course, I have a, a full-time job outside of that and, and lots of other things to manage. And, and to be honest, personally, it's been, been kind of a, a tumultuous year yeah. uh, in, in a lot of ways. So on, on top of that, there's just been you know, pandemic aside, there's, there's just been a lot to manage. And I feel like my time has become more and more segmented or just filled. And sometimes that is something that I wouldn't say frustrates me, but I, I am someone who very much values my, my time and and my, my, at least my time specifically for stillness and awareness and, and mindfulness and, and something that has become a bigger and bigger part of my life over the past few years. So it's it's certainly been a challenging exercise to to balance those two and to just kind of maintain um, a sense of simplicity and to be able to take a, a whole day, you know, like to take a Sunday and say like, hey, I'm not going to I'm not going to focus on anything. I'm just going to go out and go on a walk or or hang out with my family or just just try to to take some time to enjoy life for for whatever that is while still having that kind of that uh, <laughs> that cog in my brain going like all right these are the 14 things i need to do tomorrow and yeah. <laughs> uh you know it's it's uh, i guess in a way that's a little bit of a non-answer i'm, I'm kind of in between right now where i a, a part of me i do have a strong drive right now because i'm I'm looking at maybe changing careers. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at new jobs. I'm, I'm just, there's a lot that I'm trying to push forward and I'm, 
I'm happy with my progress on that front. But at the same time, I, I do feel myself maybe itching towards being a little bit too, mm-hmm. um, too focused on progress on a few fronts. So yeah. I, if I could audit myself, I, I'd say I maybe could use a little bit more time for myself, a, a little bit more of a step back. But we'll yeah. we'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> I like the way you described that in the beginning um, that you, you said you had to remind yourself like it's not about, you know, numbers. It's not about how many people hear it. And um, actually, my, my therapist here I really like and he said something a while back that stuck with me that there's a difference between passion and aggression. Um, and I think, mm. you know, aggression often leads to that burnout. It's this like aggressive need to accomplish, to improve, you know, to enhance, to make more efficient. Whereas, you know, passion is a drive you know that is led by um a a desire to to see through what you have within you does that make sense Mm -hmm. not to get a certain number um but just to kind of explore those those passions that you have um Mm -hmm. so it sounds like it sounds like a nice place um from what i hear and i I like to say you uh hear you say you, you kind of reflect and check on that too lately i've had this understanding that everything in our life is a relationship um you know mm-hmm. relation physical relationships with people or i mean emotional you know but tangible relationships sure. what we define as relationships your relationship with water you know your intake on water your relationship with food your relationship mm-hmm. with your work with with any substances you might take part in it's it's all a relationship and relationships right. are living things um mm-hmm. so they require care on your end mm-hmm. you, you know about friendships if you don't keep up with them then then they can die. But, you know, like houseplants, some some need water every day and some are like succulents and they're all right if you leave them for a bit. You know, every relationship right. is unique and different, but you do need to be active in it. And, and that takes mm-hmm. constant kind of self-awareness and reflection and deciding, okay, you know, is this moving the way I want it to? Um, are there things that I can be doing differently? Is this a relationship that I don't need to have? Um, mm-hmm. so, so it sounds like a, a great spot. I would say I'm a little bit similar um, to you right now too. Mm-hmm. And so like constantly reflecting um yeah as well that's the idea at least um but yeah i'm glad you brought that up actually because it's something i've been thinking a lot about recently and i i'll just have to assume that you haven't had the chance to to listen to the episode but i i did i did a recording a couple weeks ago just myself for the first time um and it it came on the heels of just like a really really rough week Mm -hmm. um personally a lot going on in, in my family life and um, some things that that have been building for a long time that just I, I felt weird about not speaking to that and where I was personally on some level and being that this project has been has become a big part of my life and I'm part of its essence is, is to share a lot of who I really am at base and I felt the need to it felt weird to just kind of like continue on uh without acknowledging what I was dealing with on some level, even though I didn't really get into it. But the the overarching theme was kind of maintaining that relationship with life. And that in times like at base, life kind of is suffering. And it's and there there are some yeah. some deeply and fundamentally challenging things about just being alive and being aware of of what is going on in the world and going on with the people that you love and the just that chaotic and uncontrollable nature of, of most of what we experience. But at the same time, there is this this high degree of, of maintenance that, that has to happen for you to kind of 
stay in love with life and still yeah. recognize the the balance that is there and why it's it's still obviously worth living and pursuing and, and staying invested in and um it was a kind of a rabbit hole that i sent myself down but then i i kind of realized it might be something worth sharing and the things that i personally find help me maintain that relationship and still still feel very much in love with my life despite the fact that at times a lot of you know my recent history has been has been typified by some pretty deep struggles so um yeah i, I just thought it was a, a very interesting point of relation to 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 jump off from because it it really is it's something that often goes overlooked and we don't really think about our our relationship to existence and just being period as yeah. as something that we have to maintain because at times it, it just if you don't just like any relationship like resentment will build and if you really like look with a critical eye about everything that is a part of this this plane of existence especially for someone who's a little bit naturally um critical uh, it's 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 very it's very easy to to fall into a place of of like i said just just resentment and uncomfortability and just day to day feeling just very heavy um but there's there's a lot out there that 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 can help but it's it's the maintenance it's it's the care it's it's staying invested in it in in a way that that allows you to kind of still you know see the see the light at the end of the tunnel or just recognize that that the highs justify the lows in in a simplest sense that yeah that was really beautiful and well said and i'll be honest with you i needed to hear that um that that really hit home for me as well and i would probably venture to say a lot of people especially in this time i think everybody's kind of gone through their own version of what the fuck this past mm -hmm. year um you, you know due to pandemic or or else um mm -hmm. i would say um there's this concept i read about in an article i really liked about your stress budget everybody has a stress budget um mm -hmm. so you know spend it wisely you know uh, maybe avoid that you know water cooler gossip at work if that's going to eat some of your stress budget and right. make you you know perform worse mm -hmm. you know just kind of that concept um and with this year um it's been chaos and it's been stress and i think you know going through this collective experience we've all gone through everybody's individual stress budget is is affected I mean, there's a chunk of it that's being mm -hmm. taken up and consumed by just the current state of things. Um, and everybody's is different, but that just makes everything else in your life get a right. lot less room, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be stressful um, and, and makes it affect you quite a bit more. Um, so I, I appreciate that you said that. Um, I, I really do. Mm -hmm. And I've been I've been realizing lately, uh, kind of going on that that you know that the good comes with the bad. Um, there's a lot we can say about that, but lately I've kind of had this deeper understanding, and, and this relates to my experiences in Spain as well. Um, that you know nothing's free, honey. You know you, you pay for right. it one, you pay for everything in some way. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, and and if you get like just bogged down counting your dollars you know that you're paying for your experience mm -hmm. you know then you're not appreciating the experience you've just you've got right. to pay um and, and i don't mean that just economically um mm -hmm. you know uh like i'm thinking for example in in my life i'm i want to come back and do a master's um degree uh because i found something i'm really interested in i want to specialize a little bit more and i'd like to have a career um that i'm a little bit more excited about uh, mm -hmm. And I know, I know currently where I am, I, I don't have a lot of experience in my field and you got to, you know, you got to start somewhere. And so I have right. a very strong understanding that if I were to come back and just get a job, it would, you know, likely be one of those kind of shit jobs because you got to mm -hmm. pay your dues. Right. right. Um, but on the flip side, uh, 
you know, I want to go back to school and I'm going to accrue some more loans, which, you know, is yeah. <laughs> bravely exciting, you know, to the, mm -hmm. the average American, the, the education system. I'm sure we could make some differences there, but it is what it is at this point. So, you mm -hmm. know, I've either got to pay in time and loans and direct myself in a direction I want to go in, or I've got to pay in time at a kind of shit job that gets me experience to, to then go in the direction I want to go in. Either right. way, you got to pay. Um, and I learned that really recently thinking about public health. Um, mm. I, I'm not I'm not a wildly politically opinionated person. I'll be honest with you. And my understanding is quite limited. Um, mm -hmm. A lot more of what I understand from the public health system here is through my partner, who is um, a Spanish citizen and, and you know, therefore um, partakes in the Spanish tax system. I'm on a, a, a grant through the government. Um, it's a teaching program I do. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, my relationship is pretty laid back and easy there. Right. Um, but it was a conversation we, we called my brother recently um, to kind of get some ideas as we're shifting back to the states. I'm like, I'm out of touch. I don't know how much anything costs, you know, <laughs> like I was like, I don't even know how much you pay for groceries in a week, you know, and yeah. I, I couldn't answer a lot of those questions. And so and, and utilities and rent, you know, everything's changed. Um, so we were talking about that and about insurance in the states, which mm. uh, is a, a whole yeah. another bag of worms, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we were talking about just how expensive it is. And a lot of people have this you know, concept of like, oh, well, you know, public health, it's free. Of course, it should be free. Mm -hmm. But the taxes, particularly in Spain, are really high. Um, yeah. and, and you have no say in that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the, the system, it's, you know, it, it's slow. It's notorious for, well, you're going to wait for multiple hours, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you might not be seen. For something. Recently, a, a friend of ours um, had a gallbladder infection that was really bad oh, and yeah. the public health system said we don't operate we don't remove until it's busted <laughs> so mm -hmm. like you have to have that infection Yikes. and deal with it. yeah yeah mm -hmm. so that's ooh less than ideal um so she ended up going through private health care um to just get it removed and and be well and, and now she's doing great you know it went well thankfully mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there's what I'm trying to say is you're paying for it one way or another. There's always going to be a cost, you know, that there's nothing that's ideal, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so, you know, speaking to what you were going off of, it made me think that because you can get really bitter, um, especially when you start to think, oh, it, it's better somewhere else, or it would be better if this mm -hmm. wasn't here, or if I didn't have that struggle, but you're going to pay <laughs> one way or oh, another, yeah. you know? And, and so mm -hmm. you choose if you make it worth it, you know, are, are mm -hmm. you, you know, you're going to pay. Are you really receiving all the benefits of the outcome? Are you digging into what it gives you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're definitely preaching to the choir on that one. I think I'd probably say trade-offs more than any other word uh, yes, yes. on this show, but it's something I'm, I'm always trying to, to look at things in life through that lens, especially as I, yeah. a, a few years ago, I got a little bit interested in, in a, in a very minor sense, but interested in, in evolutionary biology and, and read a few books and, and just exposed to some, some pretty interesting thinkers on that front. And, so initially looking at things like as far as evolutionary trade-offs and I won't get into it because I'm no expert, but even just thinking about like what, what makes us different from, from a tortoise and why and, and what makes a tortoise different from a rat and, and, and why they, it's, it's really just a matter of what, uh, what the body has, has elected to, <laughs> to prioritize uh, and, and everything has a cost. It, even I think we talk about it a lot with humans, like our, our brains are just this incredible cost that our brains require so much energy. They take so much of us. And sometimes we wonder like, well, what good, what good are they really doing? It's like, would we be better off as a species if we didn't have them? Is it actually worth it? Uh, and I just find those sorts of conversations to be 
incredibly fascinating and i guess to keep it relevant to humans even things like like sleep and it's it's so expensive it's it, it makes so little sense for how little we understand it that we have to be like unconscious for a for a kind of strict regular eight hour period where you could just be murdered at any time like you're you're not you're not eating you're not reproducing you're vulnerable you're not doing yes. anything you're just totally vulnerable and until we relatively recently started to understand just like the deep meaning and benefit from almost every physiological system from metabolism to immune system to everything that, that sleep is doing for us it was kind of like why why are we spending so much on sleep or even dreams dreams are this thing that like clearly it, it wouldn't be here if there wasn't a reason like it wouldn't be here if we hadn't evolved it didn't have a purpose but we don't understand it um and clearly it's doing something very critically important for us because we continue to do it um but that's you know it's just another example that in in life i've i've become very conditioned to to that lens because i i found it to be so helpful for me just in, in every situation of life is just looking at those trade-offs and i guess it's more people talk a lot about it a lot economically mm -hmm. that um a lot of theory on that front uses that terminology. So I guess that's been an influence as well. But yeah, I think it's it's something that was a big gap for me before I started thinking about it that way. And then once I did, it, it really is, it, it provides a lot more balance to every conversation where it's, as you said, it's, I mean, I guess it's a slightly different expression, but like it's no such thing as free lunch, that it's mm -hmm. everything. I think we're very used to having conversations about like financial costs, and and uh benefits but beyond that i feel like we tend to even when we jump to something like time that is arguably more valuable mm -hmm. than money we, that still is like a big jump for people to make to like talk about like what, what your time is really worth and anything that is taking time obviously has an implicit cost uh that if you just gave yourself an hourly rate you were like hey i'm i'm worth a hundred dollars an hour and you just live life thinking about that and any time that you spent time doing something it's like is that worth a hundred dollars spend an hour on that and sure like a certain amount of uh analytical thinking and stress might come along with that it might not be the most healthy thing for everyone but at the same time it really does change how you prioritize your life if you if you really do value your time and uh, allows you to even appreciate things more so um but i guess to even jump back to your point specifically uh, about healthcare it's it's definitely a super tricky one because it's it's a very complicated issue that yeah. as we started on i think people tend to have very simplistic ideas around where it's like okay, we, healthcare obviously should be universally free. Um, I feel like that's something that gets thrown around a lot. And I think it comes from a, a reasonable place. I sure. think it really does. And I think a lot of countries do it. And there's so many things wrong with the American healthcare system that sure. should be ought to be fixed and are not, and that have nothing to do with it being universally free or not. But... Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a huge trade off there, and obviously, I mean it's it is clear that in in any situation in which it would become widely accessible without cost, that that would result in a decrease in quality and a mm -hmm. decrease in um, efficiency. You know, like these are just 
the, that's part of the trade-off there that if we really wanted that to happen it would have to, i don't think a lot of people recognize what sort of sacrifice that would mean for the yeah. average individual to say okay i'm just going to accept that my quality will go down it'll be less efficient um if i if i need to have something elective or specialized done i might not be able to have the sort of autonomy to seek out a, a higher end specialist um and so i think it's in, in principle it's one of those ideas that like everyone not everyone, but a lot of people can get behind nowadays. And I think in principle, I do as well. But yeah. at the same time, when we talk about like a single payer system or, and I don't want to get into the technicalities of it too much, but if, if we're removing the autonomy of the individual to uh, work outside of that system. So like, okay, sure. It makes sense to have a baseline that we would make sure the floor is, is raised so that like, there's no one who has access to nothing. Um, it's a terrible sentence, but um, <laughs> that, um, but at the same time, if an individual does want to elect for something better, uh, so if you, it's basically the argument of like not removing private insurance mm -hmm. despite making public insurance available to everyone. Uh, and I think that's, I don't know exactly how they do it in Spain, but I, I know a lot of countries there, or in some countries, they're really is no private insurance option for individuals. And that's what creates that kind of tension of, okay, this is my only option. Is this same care that everyone's getting um, that has now been been lowered in, in many regards? Yeah, I, I couldn't speak too much to it. I, there is private health insurance in Spain, for example. Um, I have it based on the program that I'm in. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it works a lot. Um, it, it works a, a lot faster and, and a bit better, I have to admit. Mm -hmm. um, and my partner, who has been on the public um, health uh, care system, as he is a Spanish citizen, for the past multiple years and just recently decided to buy on top on top of that though you know you're you're paying into the public health care if you're working right. you know that's it there's no choice mm -hmm. and so on top of it then he does buy private insurance which i will say is considerably cheaper than it would be mm -hmm. in the states um and he's had a few things that he's been able to solve that he's been trying to work on for the past you know multiple years but it just might take mm -hmm. way too long to get an appointment or often there's kind of this um you know a, a schism you know chasm or a schism or I can't remember which word I want to use there. Just this like difference, you know, schism, mm -hmm. split. There we go. Between right. private and public sector, um, you know, where you seem to get much better care in one than another. Um, right. You know, and so it kind of creates these two different different worlds. And I've heard it working really great in some other um, countries. I'm not informed enough, honestly, to speak to it or give too much of an opinion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just my, my biggest takeaway there is, as you said, if, if you want this idea that you think is wonderful, you know, yes, yes, mm -hmm. I'm for universal health care. But like you have to follow that with, OK, what are the sacrifices? What are the costs of that? You mm -hmm. know, and I'm reading um, right now this book. Uh, it's pretty well known. It's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm. Um, yeah. Really nice. And recently I read a part where he says, like, you don't you shouldn't really ask. An interesting question isn't what do you want out of life? You know, everybody wants happiness everybody wants a good life it's what are you willing to mm -hmm. pay <laughs> what are you willing right. to lose because whatever you want comes with sacrifices you know and so you've got to right. you've got to plant that question to yourself that way you know it, mm -hmm. you know what am i willing to lose so do i actually want what i think i want if i'm not willing mm -hmm. to pay for it then do i actually want what i think i want um mm -hmm. and lately i'm kind of flipping that on myself um to, to bring back to my, my cultural experiences, um, I'm, 
an interesting kind of thought I've had and expressed with some other people is, you know, Spain has um, some downfalls in a lot of areas. They're, they're pretty far behind um, in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Their efficiency is, is quite lacking. Um, you know, there's a lot right. of, you know, kind of qualities that can be very frustrating about life here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very, they have a lot of other very redeeming qualities, you know, like this, this like life on the streets, bars everywhere, festivals, like exciting events, you know, just like this kind of uh, relaxed attitude, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And during the Mm -hmm. pandemic, a lot of the redeeming Mm -hmm. qualities were quite limited. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you hyper-focus on what you're paying. Um, And, and I I found myself this past year starting to get like frustrated. Um, And recently, especially now that I'm, you know, transitioning toward leaving, I'm, trying to remind myself like, okay, well, yeah, all of that's a cost, it, you know, it came at a cost, but let me not just pay and lose out on, on what I'm, what I can value from it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? I'm trying to remember right. like, you know, there's terraces everywhere, you know, there's the, the way that people treat you, you know, when you go to a bar, you don't, you can sit there as long as you want, you know, people don't give you the, the, um, tab right. right away. You know, there's that kind of attitude that you don't have. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of balconies and terraces. The architecture is, is playful and stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of really beautiful things um, that if you just, you know, hyper focus on what you're paying and what you think you're you're losing, then mm-hmm. you forget to value, you know, well, the, yeah, there is a trade off there. Like, why would I just like dig into my sacrifice, you know, and get myself into a, a mode of pity when I can open mm-hmm. my eyes? You know, there's two narratives, I guess is what I'm trying to say, going at the same time. There's what you're right. paying and what you're getting. <laughs> so if you, yeah. if you balance those out, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's funny that you bring that up because I remember being on, on our honeymoon and yeah. and I guess we spent time in, in a few places, but I, one of them being Spain and, and, and Italy as well. And I remember having these moments and I, I, I spent time in the restaurant industry and, and bartending. And so like, you know, we're sitting at these restaurants and we've, we've finished our meal and like not once in our entire time, like being in Europe, did anyone like ever bring us the check in any situation? <laughs> and like, yeah. I saw it as a negative, right? That like, because like, I'm so on. used to this, this American experience of it being like, you know, let's, let's, let's get it moving. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm just now realizing that like, obviously there's another side to that. And there's, there's definitely a, uh, a benefit to, to having a more, laid back experience where you can't spend as much time as you want just kind of hanging out it's just a, a total cultural difference where even we were you know we when we were in spain specifically because i know like their whole concept of time is it's just different <laughs> it's it's just a later culture yes. and so we're at this restaurant and it's maybe i don't know it's like 11 or something and, and we're sure, like naturally yeah <laughs> it's it's getting late like we're, we're certainly usually in bed by now um and this is like a for whatever it's worth, like the one night where we were like, we're going to go all out. We went to this really nice, um, like Michelin starred restaurant in, uh-huh. in Barcelona. And uh, so we were like, surely here they will bring us a check. <laughs> you know, the service was incredible. Everything about it was incredible. But we're just sitting there we're like, hanging out. we've been there for hours and we're like, all right, like maybe maybe we'd be heading back now. But like, nope. But we look around and there's all these people who are just like clearly not really eating or doing anything. Like they're just hanging out at their tables we're like thinking they'd be closing down now but like no there's just people hanging out clearly just like waiting it out uh i guess until the bars open at like 1 a.m or whatever Um, but yeah it's it's just different and it was hard for me to just like even process that as a as a potential positive because in my head i was just like 
I'm a, I'm a relatively patient person, but I was just like, this is so different. Like, are they forgetting about us? But ultimately, I realized that wasn't it. It's just, it's just different. You just have um, to ask. Yeah, there's like a lot of cultural things. That's that's one really positive thing of of living somewhere else is you start to kind of expand your perspective and realize, wow, so many things that I've just taken for granted as the way things are are the mm. way things are where I'm from, you know? And right. so like like schools are, are radically different here. I work in an elementary school and I recently mm-hmm. actually did a cute little presentation about my elementary school. I grew up in upstate New York and, you know, showed the classrooms and, you know, the, the facilities, you know, and then the extracurriculars and all the things that are involved in there. And it's very different than the way things are mm-hmm. here, um, you know? And so it was kind of interesting to be able to show the students that because I didn't realize that until now working in the school. I have literally spent the last three years talking to every person I can trying to figure out how this system here works, like the system mm-hmm. of getting a job, um, the way the schools run, how you do a certain, so like the principal, the secretary, the vice principal are also teachers here. Um, it's not a mm-hmm. separate position. Um, and I've seen that create quite of a, an interesting power struggle between co-workers who, Mm -hmm. you know, some have a a higher position, um, but those who are, you know, quote unquote, just teachers are like, you're not above me. Um, So, you know, why do you have this attitude? Just small little things like that. The way you get a work here, you don't like apply to a specific school. Um, You kind of get entered into this like lottery, um, more or less Mm -hmm. system. It's based on your points that you've accumulated. You have to take a large exam. Like I've spent years Mm -hmm. trying to piece this system together because it's so different from ours you know and just culturally i've been talking recently with people about like what i consider rude um and i realized no it's just the way we do things there you know mm-hmm. that so it might not even be rude it's just different if that makes right. sense and that reminds me of what you had started talking about like you know being an american there's a, there's quite a lot of backlash being an american um abroad Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I've realized uh, I, I never just really quite understood like um, America is the world's current superpower. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, not not to you know be like yeah we're number one imperialism, <laughs> but quite quite literally we we are on top, and everybody sees what we do, and we have influence everywhere. Um, which mm-hmm. made me realize I think that kind of influences our personal global perspective because I don't really know what's going on a lot of other places. Our geography like geography isn't the highlight of our education. You know, it's a common <laughs> no. joke when you ask an American, mm. you know, where is this country? And they're like, oh, I, I thought that was a city, you know, it, it's, right. uh, you know, so it's it's been kind of interesting to to expand and kind of get outside and see um see it see it from the outside. Um, and, and I'll say um, now I'm kind of I'm, I'm off on a tangent, but I find no, no, you're fine. I wouldn't say I'm I'm wildly patriotic, but I, I am proud and happy to be an American. I think we have a lot to work on, but I've said to a lot of people, you know, if you don't, you know, because people will be down with America and hating on where they're from. I need to get out. I need to go somewhere else. I'm like, if mm-hmm. you don't love something, you can't you can't change it. Uh, you know, you, you can't improve it if, if that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's there's stuff going on everywhere, you know. Um, so I find myself kind of in this middle ground of like, yeah, I know we have a reputation. I know that, you know, there are some stereotypes which may or may not be true. Um, but I, I often find myself struggling to not um, over defend <laughs> the state. You know, it's like this yeah. kind of this personal point um, and try to see it a little bit. I've been able to, I would say, see it a little bit more objectively, um, which I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for, you know, kind of stepping away and realizing the influence that it has. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's that's definitely an, an interesting perspective. And I mean, I haven't really had much of an opportunity to, to have that pullback 
as I've already kind of spoken to, my my experience is somewhat limited, and I've had conversations with people from other countries, and that's that's definitely been informative. But it's, I think, uh, on on both sides of it, as I mentioned earlier, I think people in the states tend to, I think, on either side of it, because of that lack of exposure and understanding of other cultures, yeah. we a either romanticize them yeah. these other cultures <laughs> and assume that's just like we just look at the highlights and assume that all these other base things that we take for granted in america are also there yeah uh, and that we pretend as though the trade-offs aren't really there or we're just like i have no interest in in seeing anything outside of this incredible country that is the best and uh <laughs> everyone else is doing it wrong uh yes. is, is, is usually where people tend to fall somewhere close to you know one or the other and i think particularly maybe now more so than ever or well i guess i'll just say the last four years not to like over politicize it but like i think it's been a part of the conversation more than ever america's influence and and place in the global stage uh was impacted and people's concept of of what our country was and what it stood for and and all of that was was all put into question so i think more than ever people were talking about like oh like if this happens like if if trump gets reelected, like Mm -hmm. uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna move to this country and it's like oh okay but i do you have the balls? Have you, I'm have sorry. Have you thought of doing that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do that at all? You know, like, do you really understand what it's like to be in these other places where you've maybe been a tourist? You've 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 had the the romanticized tourist experience of this place, but have you have you talked to people who are you know lower middle class in these countries and and just like see what life is really like? And of course, it's more just like a conversation piece. I don't know a lot yes. of people who have really like taken action on that front, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think just to pick up on one thread you mentioned earlier, and I know you just said that you grew up in New York, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting experience for people in the States. I think particularly with like California and New York as these interesting case studies in this past year or so, because as you spoke to in Spain, a lot of what makes New York worth the incredibly high tax rate is the fact that there is so much going on culturally and you're you're connected to everything and there's always things going on and it's this i mean you could you could call it the the capital of the world if you will as far as industry and uh just what is happening and then a lot of that like kind of disappeared and so a lot of people were like well shit like is it is it is it worth the tax rate is it is it worth the disadvantages that there obviously are for being here um and i think a lot of people obviously left. A lot of people stuck around. A lot of people moved because they were like, oh, this is an opportunity. The, uh, the costs are down. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, there's this kind of mass exodus of California. Yeah. Because a lot of people like, I think the, there's an argument that they're like, New York is worth it, right? The, mm-hmm. the taxes are high, but for everything that it provides, it's the trade-offs, it's, it's worth it. But from what I've heard, people are starting to get to the point where they're like, I don't know if California is necessarily worth it even though sure the weather is great and that's there's there's a lot of good things about it but i think for a lot of these other aspects especially their struggles with a lot of their um i guess public institutions and and the homelessness problem mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. just a lot of there's been a lot of different forces that things haven't been going particularly well in california but the tax rates are astronomically high and a lot of people are saying like man like this is this is this great place to live but at the same time 
a lot of people are saying, I don't know if it's really worth it. So a lot of people have been moving to Austin. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like a yes. lot of people are, are moving to this place where it's like, okay, taxes are way down, regulations are down. But um, in short, once again, it, it's all about trade-offs and there's a lot of things that probably aren't ideal for people in Texas. But at the same time, it's, it's definitely a very interesting aspect of being an American is that we do have this really cool system where states are very different mm-hmm. in their in their yeah. laws and the regulations and in their taxes. So if you just like don't really like a place, you don't feel like it fits your set of priorities, you can just move to another pretty easily and seamlessly. Yeah. Um, and each state kind of has its own vibe or each area. So it's it's definitely something we've been thinking about recently and we're not really sure where we'll end up ultimately. Um, but they have options, yeah. Right. It's I kind will of an say, interesting experience. I grew experience. up in upstate New York. Um, so, like, it's funny that you say that. Like, like western um, upstate. And so, it's not mm. the city. Um, right, You know, right, they're right. like two separate entities. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the, the it was very rural where I grew up. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that was a big thing. I, I don't, I didn't know a lot. You know, I was a kid. We left there when I was 13. But I knew that was a big influence of why my parents wanted to leave. Because they had the high tax rates. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, not the the what makes it worth it about New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. yeah, like exactly what you're saying. Like you, you have to see what it's again, the question of, you know, what do you value and what are you willing to lose? You know, mm-hmm. where, where are those trade offs? And, you know, how, how do you find your kind of like leveled ground of that? You're losing what mm-hmm. you can afford to lose and you have what you what you absolutely value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where are you guys thinking of going? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a fair question. I think at the moment, there's there's certainly nothing in the works. It's more just we've we've been looking at different areas that we'd like to to spend some time in and, and just kind of see. But we've we've certainly talked about Colorado. Uh, we, we've spent some time out there and really did enjoy it a lot. And and like a lot of what they have to offer, I think I'm someone who very much like skews towards um, just the the nature and, and wildlife experience of a place and so I, I really really enjoyed that dimension of it and I, I love the mountains and um I think there's there's a lot of interesting things going on there right now and, and it seems like it might be a better fit for us than where we are but at the same time it, it's not like everything is is perfect there and there's there's lots of other things to weigh um we've we've talked about even potentially looking I guess we had a conversation around California at a time because there are so many good things about it, but now like maybe we're a little bit, a little bit more lukewarm on it, especially seeing like a lot of people leave and yeah. even like the, the fires recently, like that's just kind of a scary yeah. thing that there's, there's fires there all the time and the the earthquakes and you know, there's, there's a, uh, every place has its, has its pitfalls. Um, but yeah, we're honestly pretty open-ended right now. It's, it probably won't be for, for some time, but it's, I think we'd like to try living somewhere else at least for a time, even if even if we end up coming back here ultimately. Uh, I think at some point we'd like to give somewhere else a shot just to, as we've spoken to, just to kind of get that uh, frame of reference and see if somewhere else could be a good fit. And if it's not, we can always come back to what we know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely for it. I mean, obviously I'm speaking to you having um, left the state in general and, and lived, you know, outside of it. Um, mm-hmm. I... I Definitely think I'm the, I'm a kind of person who's insatiably curious. Um, you know, I, I want to see more, know more, experience more. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I, I'm very grateful for my opportunities and my choices um, 
to have taken the, the, the chance to get out um, for some time. You know, I might put mm-hmm. it, sow my wild oats, uh, you know, per se, yeah. kind of, you know, get, get out and, and do some different things um, mm-hmm. and not and know that I won't have that sense of regret, uh, you, you know, that uh, there's a great Mark Twain quote, like we in the end, we regret the things we didn't do more than the things that we did. Mm-hmm. You know, so sail away from from the harbor is what he kind of right. says, um, and and I, I've talked to a lot of you know people as I've been here, and especially I value the input from a lot of older people that I've you know shared. Yeah, I'm living in Spain, and you know I'm doing that, and they're like, wow, like if I could go back, I, I would. Like I, I would have you know lived mm-hmm. somewhere else or done something else, and I, and I think like yeah, like you know I, I kind of satisfied that, um, and now I feel like I'm making uh, a decision. You know, it's like when you go to the grocery store and you're hungry, you know, you mm-hmm. don't necessarily oh, yeah. make, that, you know, I've eaten and now it's I can dangerous. make my decision, you know, mm-hmm. about what exactly I want to purchase, you know, where I want to go, where I want to be. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's great um, to, to think about trying something else. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, what you mentioned with the fires, that's really interesting. Every place has its geographical um kind of oddities and, and mm-hmm. uh, challenges, obstacles. Um, and that's one thing I've, I've said about being here in a different sense that, you know, at home, I know where to buy balloons or flowers, for example. I know mm-hmm. where to get, you know, replacements for my windshield wipers. You know, I, I know, mm-hmm. um, you know, how to go about getting a new license, you know, like, like small right. little things that are part of your day-to-day life. And here it's like, Oh well, they don't they don't fill up balloons in the grocery store, and they don't sell flowers in the grocery store. You know, which mm. is just like something yeah. that I'm used to. So if I want that, I have to figure out how to do that. You know, mm-hmm. and you know the process for for getting a visa or a residency is you know a, a large process that you have to figure out. You know, so that these like base comforts in your life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of disappear, and you have to readapt and and right. relearn a lot of things that you just kind of take for granted. Um, which I think is. is is really good it's it's a different uh level of challenge um mm-hmm. but it, uh, it you know kind of questions your your identity and your structure as a person if that right. makes sense it, it gives you a chance to uh to look through a different lens you know to kind of have some different pieces to put back together mm-hmm. um, I, I always say like i think it's positive to go through experiences that break you down um because mm-hmm. you realize that you can heal um, you know, yeah. you, you can't, we're not fragile, we're breakable, but we're not fragile, you know, we can, we can be put back together. And then when you're broken down, you have all of your pieces before you, you can decide what to do with them, you know, how to reconstruct them. And so experiences right. that kind of rock your world in a way um, uh, can, can be, you know, if, as we've mentioned, you are active in your relationship with life, um, mm-hmm. they can be uh, a very impactful and in positive ways um you know if you choose to to put that effort into it right yeah absolutely i think it's it's often helpful for me to kind of to try to put things into even like physiological or even just like biological terms to to better understand them because it's it's sometimes i feel like the language i I speak more easily and Mm -hmm. i feel like it's it's been an interesting lesson in that sense recently i've i've dealt with various injuries throughout my life nothing super serious but recently I've had two that have been like super chronic and very frustrating to heal from and anytime anything becomes chronic it it of course becomes much more difficult to actually remedy because your body just adapts to a new normal to a certain uh, 
nerve response to certain stimuli. And so it, it learns that essentially, in the most simplistic way possible, that we just ought to not do certain things. We ought to limit range of motion. We ought to respond strongly. So even if the injury is, in a way, no longer really there, you've you've built up this infrastructure inside of you. You've, you've built up these feedback loops that will result in the same amount of pain, even if the original injury has to some degree healed. And I think as individuals, uh, I think our, our psyches kind of operate in a, in a similar way, um, mm-hmm. which can be very difficult and almost non-intuitive to, to try to address. So part of my experience trying to rehab from these injuries and like going to physical therapy, a lot of it has been like recognizing that you have to essentially re-injure yourself repeatedly to heal from it because you have to, especially when an issue is chronic, you have to kind of be creating these micro tears so that they can reheal in the right way. Mm-hmm. But that just seems very wrong. Like the, It seems like the idea would just be like, okay, let me kind of coddle this. Let me, yeah. let me, you know, isolate this area. Let me not use it. Let me work around it. When you really just kind of have to like, just like fuck it up even worse, <laughs> which feels so wrong to have any chance that it's going to reheal in the right way. But it is just this process of like, small controlled injury and insult uh combined with like proper movement and uh rehab to to actually get you to where you want to go but um i guess to bring it full circle it's it's kind of what you have to do for yourself on on any level of 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 trauma injury that you have to kind of re-expose yourself you have to kind of re-injure yourself and get back on the horse Right. You, you, you got to integrate it in a different way. You have to apply it and, and find a way to just create space for uh, the, the, at least the opportunity to, to improve or to build something new, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, and that uh, on a like a more, I guess, emotional, psychological level, um, I think that a lot of people saw that um, through the pandemic. I, I know a lot of people I know and have talked to have experienced like either new, like something they had never experienced or just higher levels of social anxiety, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we yeah. kind of put ourselves in these little bubbles. We were forced to be away from people. And and I mm-hmm. am a very social person. And I wouldn't say, I, you know, I'm I'm for sure um, positive i've experienced anxiety in different ways but socially uh not not usually as much um mm-hmm. and after this experience um i found myself like facing that especially when i came mm-hmm. back to the states i actually came back in december um uh, I chose to come. I hadn't seen my family in over a year and we had some um, family health issues as well that made me say like, this is something I need to do. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth uh, the whatever risk it might entail. Um, and I was really grateful for that opportunity to share with my family. Uh, but, you know, catching up with some old friends after quite some mm-hmm. time, I was like, you know, I'm not usually so in my head, like thinking about right. all of my interactions and how this is going. These are points of comfort. Um, and I realized, like, I just have to do it. You know, you just, you mm-hmm. know, the only way out is through uh, kind of yeah. like what you're saying. You have to expose yourself to situations that are challenging. Um and I've been really into uh, reading about the, the Stoic philosophy over the past mm-hmm. um, year, year or two. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of this, uh, this characteristic that they per- 
they, they, they preach to or, or speak on rather, um, like if you want to get better at something then you, you have to do it, you know, you, you <laughs> have to, every opportunity, you know, they like, they really believe in, in accepting your reality, um, as it is and, and choosing to move the direction you want to with it. And so like, if something isn't positive, if, you know, if the only positive thing you can take from a situation is that it's an opportunity to grow stronger, then that has mm-hmm. to be enough. Um, you know, right. and, so, and that's been helpful for me in a lot of occasions where I'm like, ah, why, why is this so hard right now? I can't like, I can't spin this. I can't find the positive, (laughs) not right now, you know, not right now. And it's like, well, it's an opportunity to, to be more patient, to accept my reality, to, to not try to control everything that's going on, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to grow and expand. Um, Right. (laughs) <laughs> it, which yeah, is exactly what you're saying like you've, you've got to put yourself in that opportunity otherwise you're gonna just kind of get stuck and heal inappropriately right yeah i mean that's that's kind of the the ultimate the ultimate silver lining and i guess the the strongest argument for always trying to address things on the front end because when anything becomes habitual when anything becomes chronic it's it's so much harder to fight that than just being like let's just get it right when it when it first happened instead of I guess to stick with my analogy like instead of being like ah, I'll be all right like it's not that bad of an injury I'll I'll, I'll go to the doctor some other time yeah. when you could have just put that work in on the front end and it could have been a much smoother experience um, and of course sometimes individuals need time to, to process things and to get where they need to be to to try to deal with something but um, yeah ultimately to your point it's it definitely there's always that uh, that silver lining there in life that even in situations that feel like there's there's no way to spin it there's there's always if you have the a, a certain perspective you can always say in some way I'm learning from this and and in some way in the future regardless of how this goes I will even if this is just pain like even if this is just like an ice pick in the eyeball um, <laughs> after it's over like I will hopefully appreciate not having an ice pick in my eyeball at any given time more so you know that's not that's not very elegant but <laughs> i think sometimes it has to be that rudimentary for me to be like yeah. even just in direct experiences of, of pain and suffering that it, it does make it easier when it's because it will be over eventually at some point it won't be there anymore and it will, you'll have a deeper appreciation for what it's like to not be experiencing that. Yeah, I, um, this past year for me also was personally um, challenging on, on a number of levels. Um, and uh, I found myself a lot of times, and I, I didn't really understand it for a while, but like in my mind, I was like mentally flashing back to these like really minute moments of my past. Like I remember walking, you know, from NC State's campus to um, my hairdresser and getting mm-hmm. a haircut. And it was just like a nice walk. And I and I remembered that. And it was like mm-hmm. just a, you know, really small flash um, and, and a mm-hmm. number of other occasions. And eventually it had me realizing like. Uh, that happened so long ago. It didn't, I didn't really take a lot of stock in it. You know what I mean? It was just a little tiny part of my life. And here I am now, um, you know, so mm-hmm. eventually everything just becomes a memory, um, right. if that makes sense. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think that helps you get through, through things too. Like this isn't forever. There's a, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Rilke, Rainer, Rainer Rilke, um, poet. He's, he's really, uh, I don't know if I'm familiar, but that, that doesn't mean anything. I'm, I'm not the most okay. well-read. Um, really, really great poem. Um, 
I can't, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now, but it says like, uh, basically allow yourself to feel everything, pain, terror, love, adoration. Mm-hmm. It says no feeling is final. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that kind of concept, you know, like, like right. nothing is final. Um, mm-hmm. like the ice pick in the eye, same thing, you know, <laughs> it, it will yeah. end, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's enough, you know, you know? Mm. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a poem out there about ice picks and eyeballs, right? Ice picks and eyeballs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We'll write one, damn it, if there's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, geez, that's, that's a huge gap in the market. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it's one of the more helpful principles that i i lean on um and it is a a regular part of of the meditations that i do personally that is just kind of a reminder that the simple reminder that everything you've ever experienced has passed like no matter what, what it is like you're you're here now and no matter how bad things have become it's we know that that all things pass in time and in one way or another and everything has a certain transience to it and it's it's hard sometimes to remember that in the moment and in a way it's kind of counterintuitive because the the value is also in recognizing like much of suffering really is the expectation that it may not ever uh stop essentially you know this is this idea that this is some sort of constant state that won't go away uh i guess i'll just keep bringing it back to this injury of mine for no reason but if like a lot of the difficulty of an injury is like it's it's worrying that this this pain won't stop or that this issue will never be resolved that really is the it's the psychological suffering on the day-to-day basis it's not so much that it hurts that bad it's just like what am i not going to be able to do in a week like i'm going to miss this i'm going to miss that i'm not going to be able to do the things that i like it's it's just projecting into the future uh and, and thinking about it not ending instead of just being like, okay, right now in this moment, it's an endurable thing and it will be over at some point. Um, so that it's definitely one of the things I just try to remind myself as often as possible. But also on, on the flip side of that, it's it's another argument to try to, as you just spoke to, feel things deeply and, and fully because they're they're going to be over. And even in the moment, if they don't seem to have a positive framing, you're only going to experience them once and it it eventually will be over. And in retrospect, you might maybe wish that you were more present for it to, to just be there for it and to understand it and yes. to be able to, cause it's one thing to like to suffer and to come out on the other side and feel like, wow, I really, I was there for that and I dealt with it and I experienced it and I learned from it. But I feel like oftentimes if you, if you resist too much, you could come out on the other side and it's like, wow, that was really awful. And I don't feel like anything was derived from it. And I feel like that's almost a worse feeling to feel like your suffering had no silver lining um, than to like try to maybe in in a futile sense, insulate yourself from it in the moment. Yeah. And that it's kind of a a process of zooming out too. Um, Charlie Chaplin Mm -hmm. actually has a quote and he says in in close up life's a tragedy, but from long shot, it's a comedy. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when you hyper zoom in on anything, you know, you literally make a mountain out of a molehill. You know, if, if you right. get way too close to that, it's huge and it's monumental. It, it's tragic. Um, mm-hmm. But when you can kind of back it up and see the full span of things, you know, it, mm-hmm. the, it's just part of the whole. Um, and the right. whole is is pretty funny. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good topic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think life, honestly, I have this kind of thought life's a bit of a joke, you know, so if you can manage to mm. laugh throughout it, like, then you're doing it well. Right. Um, 
I love that. I was just talking the other day about like, uh, I have, I tend to have like very, I'm very lucky, but it's kind of like silly luck. You know, I win Mm -hmm. like movie tickets. I win like, you know, small, like, like bad concert Mm. tickets, you know, (laughs) you know, like just like little things like that. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. fun. And the other day I had this really fun experience, actually. Um, There's here in in Spain, I'm not sure where else in Europe, but there's um, coffee machines on the street, like similar to a vending Mm. machine. So you can put in a coin and it um, choose your coffee and it drops down this little plastic cup and then it spits out some coffee coffee and a little stir stick and, and you can mm-hmm. kind of go on yeah, going yeah. your merry way love it I'm, and i i've recently realized about this like very recently and have gotten like hooked um i'm a big fan of the mm-hmm. coffee machines i have a break from from the school that i work in i get like half an hour so i always take my walk get my little coffee and walk around town and the other day um i so when i was home my my dear friend megan um gave me some euros okay she actually had come to spain in march of 2020 um Mm -hmm. and so she was here for three days and then like shit hit the fan Mm -hmm. and so she like got the fuck out you know was talking and borders closing it was just wild it was right before we entered into a major quarantine so um when i visited in december she had a couple euros left and so she gave me some coins and Mm -hmm. i was like i'm marking these you know so i put some nail polish on i was like you're you're treating me to coffee one day and i'm gonna know that you know like i'm gonna gonna be like meg's got coffee you know Mm -hmm. um so i as soon as i got back though in january we kind of shut down everything again so i put them away and i forgot about them and i recently found them again and i was very Mm. excited so the other day i went to the coffee machine and i uh i got a coffee and it's a 50 cent coin um is how much the little cappuccino costs awesome and so i sent her a picture i was like thanks so much for the coffee and then the next day i went back to the same machine as i do mm-hmm. um with just one of my own euros so i popped mm-hmm. in a euro and you know it cost 50 cents so the machine gave me back a 50 cent piece and mm-hmm. believe it or not it was the same fucking 50 cent piece that i had put in wow. the day before and i knew it because it was marked with nail yeah. polish you know and oh my god i was just beside myself with how exciting <laughs> and funny that was <laughs> yeah. um you know and it was it was really nice because lately I think I've been kind of zooming in a little bit too hard on everything, you know, mm. making a lot of mountains out of molehills. And I was like, you know, life is a good laugh if you let it be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, if you yeah. really zoom out, it's a comedy, and, and, you know, and if mm. you can laugh throughout it, if you can laugh along the way, then uh, then you're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of incredible. I think that's, that's a pretty, pretty life-changing moment for sure. Yeah. I'm not, I'm never spending that. That is my lucky coin now, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you need those moments though. You definitely do need those reminders that it's ultimately, it doesn't have to be all that serious. And I think it's, it's incredibly hard to do that. I'll, I'll make sure to make that caveat when, when you're kind of in the shit, if you will, like when yes. you're when you're in deep, it's incredibly hard to remember that and not to be dismissive to anyone's suffering or experience. But at the same time, like you said, if, if you really do zoom out, <laughs> it's it is a little funny or at the very least, completely absurd. Yeah. <laughs> like, at the very least, is that yes. I think that's it's why the absurdists are so fun um, is because they clearly, you know understand that on a a deep level that it's I think at the very least I'll say it's I I like to always ask just like what if what if you're wrong like what if everything you think you know about existence of yourself is just utterly wrong and how 
how would that change things? And it's it's not to say that it necessarily is, but it probably is in most <laughs> ways. Like we don't understand anything super well and it's always changing. We're always realizing that we were totally wrong about things that we thought were like totally on track and, and dogmatic in our under, or just belief in them. So it's, we're probably wrong about most things. And in a thousand years, they're going to look back and be like, what? Yeah. You, you did that? Like everything we look at that was done a thousand years ago seems like total nonsense yeah. already. So it, it is a little bit funny. Um, and if we could have a bird's eye view on humanity, I, I'm sure it would be quite hilarious to see the way that we have have spun things for ourselves and the way these problems we've managed to create for ourselves and our planet um i guess maybe not as funny for us being in it at times but if you could somehow be on from the outside looking in and being like man these these apes really got something going on here (laughs) Um, i don't know what they're thinking but uh this is pretty funny stuff uh But yeah, ultimately, my point just being like, the universe is this really incredible and absurd place that that might not even be what we think it is at all. Like we could, we could be in a simulation for all we know, there can be an infinite number of universes just like this or totally different. And uh, we just this could all be, you know, your dream or whatever, you know, (laughs) you could be the only person that exists. Uh, And not saying these things are likely, but at the same time, if it were to be true, like, it would even just to acknowledge that those things are possibilities can change the tone of your life to some extent, where if you get too locked in to a certain viewpoint and, and a certain understanding of your experience and and maybe the, the tragedy of it, it can be very hard to to move through life without without, as I spoke to earlier, just like feeling very heavy. Uh, about the nature of everything but I, I think those those little moments can be can be wonderful reminders that like weird shit just happens <laughs> most of the time and we're kind of just kind of dealing with it on the fly in the best way that we know how based on what we were given with or given genetically and <laughs> environmentally to whatever extent that is in any regard in our control but that's a whole other conversation uh I'm kind yeah. of a uh, I, I take maybe a sort of controversial stance on on free will, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 a wild world out there. Yeah. You, have you read Kurt Vonnegut, the author? Oh, uh, like the Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah. I haven't yeah. actually. Uh, okay. I've been I've been told to several times now, and I just am stubborn. Well, there's another but, one for uh, you. Yeah, he's got <laughs> I, a, he's got an interesting stance on kind of time, um, the timeline and free will. Uh, time Quake, for example, is a book where he writes about this concept mm. that um, like time stops and reverses 10 years, um, mm. and everybody just has to relive it, but they don't get to do anything different. So they're on like autopilot, as he puts it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I would recommend that, um, especially, you know, that you have those thoughts on free will. It's, yeah. It kind of spins it. And that's um, another reason why I feel really grateful for my opportunity to have lived somewhere else um, is because you get out of that, you know, that that track that you're on, you know, like this Mm -hmm. is the way things are, you know, kind of being somewhere else, interacting with so many different people as well. Um, Like Mm -hmm. English, for example. Okay, so I I speak Spanish and I've been able to improve a lot um, my Spanish language since I've been here. And that kind of opens up a new realm of ways to express things and ways things come across. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, Spanish is a much more um, direct language in a lot of ways. 
And so like with my partner, we'll laugh because uh, he speaks English and, and we kind of bounce between both together. Generally, I mm-hmm. speak English and he speaks Spanish and that's how we communicate back and forth. But one thing that, <laughs> that always... Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Um, and it's it's cool because you, you realize, you know, how things come across a little bit differently too. Occasionally, it'll be like, how do you mean that? Because when I say that in my <laughs> language, it's mean, you know, like, are yeah. you being mean or, you know, like, um, mm. or like he'll say like, when he wants to say, here you go, like to hand me something, he'll mm-hmm. often say, take. Because in Spanish you say toma, and that's just that means literally mm. take. Um, and that sounds right. all right, but I'm like, mm. <laughs> ah, like let's soften that, you know? That's that's a, it's kind of funny. Mm. Um, and then English itself, I, I'm fortunate to have um, like a, a good group of friends of mine. There's um, a British um, boy, an Australian girl, and a Canadian girl, and myself. Um, and I, mm. I have friends who are Irish as well. And so I've like been exposed to the very many different levels and nuances and layers of mm. the English language, you know. One word that absolutely um, just uh, uh, um, kind of makes me crazy that I, like I'm in love with is weed mm. whacker. Okay, so I say <laughs> weed whacker. I've also said, um, oh, I can't think of the other word I use for it, um, but it's called a strim trimmer, a whipper snipper, a weed whacker, a <laughs> weed eater, uh, and it's got about four or five different names. If you mm-hmm. if you Wikipedia this, it it tells you every different like country and how they say it. I think so far that's the word I have found the most different ways to say. Mm. Um, but you know, you just kind of get this also understanding like my language isn't concrete. You know, the mm-hmm. way I express myself isn't concrete. Right. You know, like like English itself. Now that I'm teaching in a school and they learn British English, I've really learned uh, to kind of curb my Americanism to try to, you know, match their curriculum a little bit um, mm. and, and figure out the words and the ways they say certain things um, that are kind of foreign to me in my own language. Uh, right. you know, so, so I've really kind of expanded myself in, in ways I never imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a funny one. I think I say weed eater the weed most eater, often. Yeah. But um, it is one of those things that like if you're if you're looking to buy a weed eater, you you can't find it under that name. Like it's it's going to be called like an edger or a trimmer, you know, like there's there's so many words uh, that can mean the same thing. But in a way, they they sometimes don't because it, it is the words that people use is based is often very geographic or cultural. Uh-huh. And what I guess less so in modern times, m- more so than ever. But um yeah, I guess it's maybe it's it's becoming less and less relevant, but theoretically previously it was like items were different based on the actual <laughs> culture they were used within or made within. Uh okay. so when there wasn't Amazon and you could just like get anything from anywhere at any time, uh there might actually be a difference between, you know, a weed whacker and a weed eater and a, <laughs> and a whippersnipper or whatever. I yeah, don't think I've actually true. heard that, but Yes, that's um, it's insane. <laughs> I know it's really funny. Or like there's certain you know, just certain vocabulary words. I uh, the word nonplussed in the American vocabulary means like, you know, just kind of not not phased, not affected. Mm. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the British uh, meaning, it means like so bewildered that you don't know how to respond, which is right. the exact opposite. <laughs> you know? So it, it's it's fun, I, I think, to kind of see like there's nothing really set in stone. There's not one way for things to be, even a word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it a lot depends on you know how it's been kind of molded around and 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 kind of shaken up and spit out um, by mm-hmm. the culture or the experiences that it's been in. Right. Yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had an interesting one the other day. I know we've spoken to this a little bit off the record, but like 
through this experience, through this project, I've I've been in contact with some people in different countries, and that's that's just been a fun experience to to get to know them some and, and to interact with them. But we were I was scheduling an episode um, when we actually talked about the the sober distancing episode, and yes. she's uh, she's in England, and uh, yeah, I was I was talking to Lisa, and she was talking, she was asking for me to send her like an uh, a link for the episode so that she could put it in her diary. Yes. And, and but I she think she accidentally misspelled it as dairy. Oh. And I was just so confused. Like I Because I your mind isn't there. connecting diary. You're just like right. what does milk product have to do with this? Was confusing to me at base, so I didn't even make the jump. And I was just like, what I sat there for like ten minutes just be like, what could this possibly mean? And the context of it like gave me enough to just be like okay, yeah, I'll just send the link, like, regardless of what she means, of course, I'll do that. And it took me like, it wasn't until like days later <laughs> that, it, that it dawned on me. Um, or honestly, I think it was while we were recording and she used diary in that <laughs> sense, like as a calendar. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the same language, but in a way, it's not. There's definitely lots of words that just I mean, it's not a complete different meaning, but it's far enough away in a lot of uh, context that it just is is totally missed. Even though it it seems like we're we're speaking the same the same language there. Oh yeah, and and I mean, in all languages, this occurs. And same with English. Like my friend Sinead, who's Australian, um, I leggings and tights are switched for us. You know, so so leggings mm. for me, you know, are what you wear to the gym or to yoga, for example, right. or what are banned from high schools. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and tights are what you would wear that's more opaque that goes under a skirt, for example. Mm -hmm. And for her, it's the exact opposite. Mm. Um, and then like my partner is Venezuelan um, with Spanish uh, citizenship as well, um, but he grew up in Venezuela, and so uh, he speaks, uh, you know, a, a more Venezuelan Spanish, which mm. which has been interesting. And actually, his his family was trapped here in Spain with us for um, the, all of last year um, oh, wow. throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah, yeah, Venezuela is in a very interesting situation um, and closed up. Um, and so I had a, like an opportunity to really expand my Spanish as well, because mm. I speak very Spain Spanish because I've, I've historically been here and learned here um, with the people here and the culture here. And so mm -hmm. it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of different uh, kind of nuances, which I think it makes me much more well-rounded having a, you know, a deeper understanding of a language in whole. You know, we say it this way here, they say it this way here. Um, and there's like some, some terms, for example, and I'm not going to remember off the top of my head, but basically basically like what we call sweatpants, what we call sweatshirt and what we call underwear and, and something else. But they're like rotated in like mm. in Spain, Spanish and Venezuelan Spanish. It's like sweatshirt is sweatpants. Sweatpants is underwear. Underwear is, you know, it's like <laughs> that kind of like and it's just goofy, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think it's really fun. Um, and I think if you can, you know, get exposed to some some different people and different ways of speaking, you can just kind of expand your creativity a little bit more. I'm, I'm a big fan of expression. Um, I really love when I can find, you know, the, the exact right words to explain like the particular sensation or feeling that I'm trying mm -hmm. to get across. And it's hard to articulate. Um, and I will say I, I 
pride myself in my eloquency, but I find that being here these past few years, my English eloquency, I, I would say, has slipped in certain aspects mm. um, because I'm, you know, having different kinds of conversations with different kinds of people. I'm not in, you know, all of the English speaking circles that I'm in in the States, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm talking to artists and engineers and musicians and, um, you know, family and, and young, old, you know, rather I have, you know, kind of but different opportunities here where my circles right. are people from different countries, people who are learning different languages, people with different culture. So, you know, my, my expression um, has developed in a different way because I've mm -hmm. kind of gained access to understanding different ways that people perceive um, how I'm coming across or, or how they're mm -hmm. coming across. Does, does that right. make sense? Wherein my, my diction perhaps um, may have lapsed, um, but it's just a different level, you know, and, and I've learned how to be able to connect with very different kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and express and kind of meet them where they are, if that makes sense, you know, and not yeah. have such a closed off um, idea of how things are said. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. And I think it's, it illuminates a couple of things, but maybe the most relevant to me is, is just like why it is so, and maybe relevant to this project as well, why it's so important to try to approach every conversation with a certain degree of, of non-judgment, Mm -hmm. and just like good faith in general because like most of the time you're probably missing each other a little bit in, in some way or another even if you're speaking the same language even if you come from the same town you're in the same family everyone's subjective experience is different and i think a lot of times we just miss each other and we we're very quick to be upset to jump to conclusions to judge when we don't really fully understand what people are trying to say and we don't give people the space to kind of work out the kinks of, of, of a conversation and, and to, to come to a more stable and solid ground with one another. And it's, it's very easy to just immediately jump to conclusions and just say like, that doesn't sit well with me. I know what kind of person this person is and yeah. to kind of write them off or just, it totally changes the tone of the conversation, but to, to your whole point about language and its its fluidity and, and all of that, I, I just think it's super interesting how how even something like language at its very, you know, fundamental ground is is something that is still very subjective and, and individual. And even just like how you speak with your family. Everyone has different words that they use to your point or different understandings of certain things based on what school they went to and, and what was popular when they were in their small little circle that they maybe thought everyone understood this reference or that everyone knew where this was coming from. And so it's it's so easy to just kind of stay in our, our bubble of sorts and to, to feel like we our perception of things maps onto reality in, in this very clear way, but most of the time it just doesn't. And <laughs> it's, I feel like we lose so much when we, when we assume bad faith in others. And I, I understand that obviously to some extent that is part of the world and some people just don't give a fuck. Some people are trying to be hurtful. Some people are, are spiteful and judgmental and that's just part of living. But I, I don't know that there's so much to be gained from that being kind of the, the null hypothesis that you have to work back from instead of assuming that people, people's attentions are decent and assuming, uh, or at least jumping to, to non-judgment first and, and allowing things to kind of work themselves out over time a little bit and asking questions, staying curious and, and just trying to, to get there in a, 
kind of massage things out a little bit as opposed to to being more reactive but it's it's uh it's certainly easier said than done yeah you're someone who i would say um like right off the bat i i admire your your diction and you know your choice of your words and expression um i think you articulate oh, well thank you yeah yeah um is there any like experiences are there any experiences that have like shaped that for you or kind of pushed you toward um that you know that enrichment of language mm. yeah um let's see i mean i as i mentioned to you a little bit earlier i i had a bit of a writing background mm -hmm. which is, is was was always my my comfort zone academically and, and expressively i i always enjoyed being creative in some sense and definitely took some art classes and, and was into that scene a little bit, but it never, it never came naturally to me. I, I, I felt like I could, I could get there if I really tried, but writing was always the place where I felt most comfortable. So mm -hmm. I think on some level, I think any situation in which I'm able to, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, what you might call a slow thinker that I, I mean, I don't know if slow is the right word, but I, I very much enjoy being able to, to think things through to write things out, to iterate, to iterate, to iterate. Um, and in some ways, I honestly was pretty uncomfortable speaking for for most of my life. I, I was very shy as a kid. I didn't talk a whole lot. Uh, people would definitely kind of typify me as someone who was quiet, who, who didn't really express themselves much. But I, I found comfort in, in writing and being able to do that. And so when I was a kid, I, I just happened to be in a school and a program that was very writing focused. Mm -hmm. and had a really good writing teacher and in middle school who who saw a lot of potential in me I think I was just kind of lucky in that sense I think she just liked me I don't know but invested in me a lot and and encouraged me to to go down or just to to improve on that front that I feel like a lot of people don't get and so I think it was just over time getting more and more comfortable expressing myself through writing and, and just doing it more regularly mm -hmm. and finding my finding my voice in that sense and then it really wasn't until college where i, I just like was kind of forced to take a public speaking class mm -hmm. that i i had to step outside of that bubble but it was something that like involved a lot of anxiety for me because it wasn't something i was comfortable with and i'd like I'd read papers, I'd, I'd read things, I was comfortable reading things to people. But as far as doing that without having a script or without having something to lean on was very uncomfortable and took a lot out of me to do. But I, I, I do feel like it was just kind of one of those moments in life where I was like, I just need to, I just need to get over this. Like, I just need to give this a shot. Um, so that's, that's kind of part of the journey. I will say for this project in particular, honestly, it's something that I try to do every day. It, it seems a little weird, but it's, I guess it's more like a spoken journal, if you will, where I'm just like driving into work and I'll just record myself on my phone and nice. I'll just, I'll just start talking about my day and, and what's going on in my head and, and, and what is on the agenda or reflections on previous episodes, whatever. I just try to talk. I just try to talk and and iterate and if I say something weird I, I try to say it again and again and again because I, I can be way too analytical about that sort of stuff but I do find it's been quite helpful just to just to speak more and just try different try different things try different techniques get my just wrap my head around different concepts and and just get feel more grounded in my thoughts and the things that I that I might share when I talk with others um so that's something I've I found has been very helpful, and I, I am curious because I haven't done a lot of research, but it's something that 
I have a lot of podcasts that I listen to. Where I'm just like absolutely blown away by how well thought out these people are and how mm-hmm. well they can improvise on the fly and just speak to things almost as if they're reading something when they're clearly just like speaking from knowledge. So it's something I, to some extent, just very much admire and and hope to get to one day. I'm certainly not there by any stretch, but I think also just trying to learn from those people, even just kind of looking at their devices of speech and, and different ways of saying things to not get repetitive and all that. I, I think it's all very interesting. Yeah. Um, I like to hear your your kind of intention with that too. I, I'm someone who has been interested in writing for quite some time too, and, and I use it as a form of expression. Um, and over the past... I don't know, a couple of years, I've definitely just kind of fallen, fallen away from it. Um, and I find that I have more uh, inner turmoil or lack of homeostasis, exactly for what you're saying mm. here, because I, I'm, I'm not exactly connecting with my own thoughts before putting them out there. And I, I have a, a pretty strong belief that when you speak words, you, you give them life. And after that, mm. you don't choose the life they have. Um, you know, so, so you've right. got to be careful with, with what you, you breathe into existence. Mm. Um, and if you can do that within yourself and, and put them down on paper or out loud, as you're saying, which is fantastic, you can kind of hear them and work with them and then choose how you express them. Um, and as a person, I used to write pretty frequently. Um, I call them verses, you know, not, not necessarily poems by any, um, means of structure, Mm. um, but, you know, kind of quick uh, free verse expression. And I found that my process, um, which I, I didn't determine, I just mm-hmm. spent a lot of time writing out all of my thoughts. And I would have this kind of like idea that I'd toy with and I'd put it in different combinations and different words. And then eventually it was like it would click and I would find the combination that really seemed to, to get it, you know. Right. And, and But it takes... Uh, putting that that back time in um you know like if, if you're a creative person you need to you need to actually schedule time to uh indulge your creativity mm-hmm. you know which which i love to hear that you do that you use your drive to work or, or whatever free time you have um to to invest in that creativity so that what you are putting out it's not planned and scripted but it mm-hmm. has thought behind it um, right that's great i'm kind of i'm getting back into that place um which i'm excited about um uh, you know, I, I'd like to have that comfort with my words before I put them out there uh, again, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's a it's a great process. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable with yourself, um, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a lot harder than than you might think. I, I actually remember I first started writing um, not long ago uh, into into my college years, um, but I found myself in a place that I didn't I didn't really like myself. And, and I was like, all right, well. Mm. Let's uh, let's dig into that, you know. Um, yeah. And I I chose like small little areas where I was like, I think I could I could make small little goals and just kind of you know breathe breathe life into these places, you know, you know, like when you're mm-hmm. doing meditation or yoga and they tell you if there's something tight, breathe into it, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of loosens it up. I was like, all right, I need to I need to breathe into some spots. And I had been reading a lot of Maya Angelou. Um, her, she has like mm-hmm. a seven book autobiography series, and I think she's a beautiful writer. Um, she she makes some of the most like subtle um, but ex uh, explicit metaphors um to be honest Mm -hmm. with you and she's one of the most unbiased people with her own experience that that i've ever read Mm -hmm. you know she can straight up say i went to my room and i cried with the door open because i wanted my mom to hear me and Mm -hmm. comfort me and 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 those things I, i find we we as people in general have a really hard time just being vulnerable about vulnerable about um even with our own selves um 
And and I, that was in that time period, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to focus on being more honest with my own self. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. doing something for a certain reason, it, it's better for me to be honest about it and then decide, you know, how I feel about that. Is it necessarily bad? Why am I trying right. to cover that up and hide it? You know, or, or should mm-hmm. I dig into that a little bit more and let myself feel it? Um, and uh, but sometimes I still have this, you know, little thing in my head that's like, Ah, if you put this down on paper, it's there. And then later you're going to read it and be Mm. embarrassed, you know, Um, which is a kind of a a sense of vulnerability and self-awareness that you have to to open up to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's I guess there's as, as we've been talking to this whole time, there's there's two sides to everything. And I think it's writing is such a valuable tool for for so many reasons as a as a learning experience, as a just a, a direct expression of of thought and ideation and, and iteration, that it it really is this this process of of refining and being able to to express freely, but also to to distill that down and, and to, as you said, just kind of keep iterating and, and keep improving and, and, and processing things as you do it. I mean, that's, that's why people journal. That's, that's why it's a, a valuable thing to do in any form, uh, just to, to get things out and to, to develop concepts around them that might be applicable to other things. Uh, but at the same time, I think from my experience, it's also, I previously kind of used it as a crutch mm-hmm. and it's something that I've had to, this whole project has been a certain exercise in, in vulnerability in that sense where I feel like I I always enjoyed writing so much because it was this controlled environment where I mm-hmm. kind of could be in my own bubble. And since I wasn't really sharing my writing often, it was I could just kind of work within it and, and relish in it and enjoy it and explore. But I, I, I could kind of keep it as it was. And sure, I would I would edit it, I would change it, but it's it's this entirely different experience to to do what we're doing right now and to know like I'm gonna say things I fucking hate in retrospect. Like I'm gonna say things that I don't like, yeah. that that don't sound perfect. I'm I'm never going to be like the gap between for someone who also thrives in a writing space, there's always gonna be just like this this well between uh what I could say if I had the time to like really process and think about it and craft it and what comes out in the moment. And it can be so hard to just like, like just accept that and sit with that and recognize that this is how people communicate and it's okay to get things wrong and to misspeak or, or to not know what word you want to use and to not be able to run to a dictionary and, and, <laughs> and get it precisely right. And there's lots of things that are wonderful and and honestly, ideal about writing in that sense because the the clarity of communication is unique. But at the same time, it's just not how the world works in the way that people spend most of their time interacting and learning. So it's, I think, some balance of the two is is really important, mm-hmm. and and why I think it's it's nice for me to be able to write a little bit um, as an addition to this project when I I put out each episode and I, I put out a a little newsletter and just kind of some brief reflections on the episode in retrospect on top of also being able to just push myself to to be okay with what I'm saying in the moment and not come in as the editor and be like no I need to change all this and I need to yeah. I need to re-say that it's 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 very hard to resist that impulse with that sort of background yeah um Jack Kerouac is a, a pretty famous kind of beat generation American writer 
Um, mm-hmm. And I've, <laughs> I have to admit, I don't know if I like him or not. I've read, quote unquote, three of his books. I haven't finished any of them. I get very close to finishing mm. and I don't, which is funny. I, I don't commonly um, not finish a book. So I'm like, I can't tell if that means I like him or I don't. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're very interesting stories. Um, he speaks a lot to like the... Um, um, a different side of the American experience, especially like during the fifties, during like that, that beat generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but his style of writing, he coined as spontaneous prose. Um, and it didn't really get a lot of academic rec- recognition. Um, mm-hmm. But what he did was he would just like string a, a roll of paper into his typewriter and mm-hmm. type, and there was no editing. Um, mm-hmm. It was just what came out and what went down is what no. he typed. And so it makes it both interesting and sometimes challenging to read. Yeah, um, he, sure. he has great, yeah, he has great language um, as well. He has, he has really interesting metaphors and ways of explaining things. Um, but but it's unique, and I think about that, like especially from what we're just talking about, how how challenging that would be to commit to the, mm-hmm. the words that are on the paper, um, you know. Right. It's, but it's the same as speaking, technically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's it, it's very hard not to be hypercritical in that sense, yeah. and it's it's something I experience every time I go back and I, I edit an episode or I listen to it. It's just it is constantly this exercise of acceptance because from the at the start of things, it was. It was much harder and I think I've gotten better with it. But at first it was listening back. It's it's so hard to just acknowledge that that, that, is, how, that is how the language is spoken. That is how people mm-hmm. communicate. And when you listen to others, you don't, you don't look at it with the same critical eye that you do yourself. And that's just how, that's how we often live in the world. Is we, it's just so much easier to, to stay focused on our own experience and, and expect better. But at the same time, it's, I think if it was always this perfectly polished product, it it kind of detaches itself from from the reality that that people actually resonate with and, and derive mm-hmm. meaning from even something like well, I guess maybe the the more broad term I could use is Hollywood, like that sure it resonates with a lot of people and there's lots of wonderful and insightful films and, and shows more so than ever there there are now. But at the same time, there's always that certain degree of detachment that everyone is aware of that this isn't really how life is. And, and these mm-hmm. are people pretending to do something surrounded by a bunch of cameras and and, and agendas and incentive structures and, uh, yeah. you know, all these things that, sure, if, if done well, you don't have that pullback and you just can be immersed in something and be like, wow, this is fascinating. But if you just take one second to have that pullback, it does take away from the experience to some extent when something feels too polished or or, yeah. or or too detached that sometimes those little imperfections are what allow people to actually actually get something out of it and, and feel like it's it's maybe worth uh, addressing with a certain uh, with a certain eye that they might not other otherwise look at things. Yeah, well, I, I always think back, Alan Watts is a uh, kind of like a, was a Zen Buddhist philosopher. He did a lot of lectures mm-hmm. and wrote some books. Yeah. Um, and one, one of his quotes that's always stood out with me is, uh, fictions are useful so long as one remembers that they are fictions. Um, mm-hmm. And he kind of uh, related that to time. You know, as in time, time is a you know a man-made construct, but it's really necessary. Otherwise, you and I couldn't uh, link up. You know, being six hours right. separate. You know what I mean? And, and say, all right, well, seven thirty your time, one thirty my time. You know, and we have clocks mm-hmm. that let us know when that's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But we can't let ourselves be run by. It. And he gave an example, which I, I don't know the nature of. Uh, you know, the, the the truth or the veracity behind it. But um, evidently, there was a time 
in England when they realized they were off on their calendar. And so mm -hmm. they said, all right, well, we're, we're jumping up 10 days. Uh, we got, you know, we got to realign with the actual calendar. And mm. everybody was like, you can't take 10 days from my life. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> it's a fiction. You know, you can't, right. you can't dig into it too much. And same with, you know, as you're speaking of Hollywood, like in that way, um, mm. you know, their, their fate, you know, so that you can draw from them and, and enjoy them and appreciate them. But mm. remember that they're fictions. And I think that way about labels as well. And, and even words to a certain extent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, well, like why does TWO mean, you know, one, to an object that's that's a concept that's an abstract concept we've put a label to it you know mm. what i mean that for us means two and you know in other languages it's something else and what we understand is you know the 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 fiction the concept behind it you know what i mean mm -hmm. it, the, the actual word is just a fiction you know the same as labels you know whether we're talking about sexuality you know we have labels for things and and mm. they're useful to be able to communicate with other people and express like right. what i want to say but it's not everything you are not a label you use a label to express you know better but but you're not confined to it is what i mean mm -hmm. to say um and you know in language is a little bit like that there, there's some there's some play and some give and take and even though you're using the fiction the the, the word to or, or whatever it is as you've said it might not come across the way that you think it, it will mm -hmm. you know um you know we, we have these kind of definitions and, and concepts, um, but then how we use them to communicate really determines, uh, you know, you know, how it's understood. And everybody filters everything through their past, their religion, their experiences, you know, the, their history mm -hmm. and, and the type of person they are, whether they think more with their head or their heart, you know. So mm -hmm. it's almost a wonder at all that I can say words and someone else can actually receive them, you know, that comes from these thoughts and these, you know, ideas in my head. I've put them into actual words and then it's taken mm -hmm. in by somebody else and, and received exactly how I meant to put it out. Um, right. and, and I think learning another language really helps point that out, too, you mm -hmm. know, because like we grew up with our first language. And so we just expect ourselves to speak it right. Um, mm -hmm. And then when you start, I started late. And I remember when I was here in Spain, when I was 17 for the first time, I, I had this like I wrote down so many times, like, I just feel so small. You know, I feel like mm. such a child, like I should be right. able to express these things, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it kind of gives you this new concept of what it means to express yourself and, and all the different ways that you can do it. You know, life for me became like a constant game of charades and taboos. Like, well, I don't mm -hmm. know that word, but I can <laughs> act it out. I can use another word and kind of get around it. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and it's just using those fictions to actually have an understanding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you put it very well, or I guess maybe uh, Mr. Watts put it very well. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I think as long as we remember that these things are kind of a means to an end, and that it's it's not that they don't have value. They obviously do. They have value. They have utility. Yes. But at the end of the day, they 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 aren't necessarily fundamentally real or important. It's it's all part of a story. It's all part of of an equation that that just is so multivariate that it's. It's not worth bearing down so much on any individual thing, uh, even though it it these are details within the story that that help help it be something that is more vivid for individuals. It still it still isn't worth fixating on or, or attaching meaning to that isn't isn't necessarily there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's I think you're just a really interesting case study of of how how fluid it all can be from an identity perspective and, and how through your your experience with language and and moving to different countries and and even just 
uh, on, on so many levels that you've already spoken to, it, it just really does illustrate it really well that there's, it, it's just not all that firm or, or fixed or uh, solid as, as your original metaphor yes. was, was played out. Uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's definitely more complicated than that, but I'm, I'm curious, given, given all the perspective that you do have, is, is there anything like, what would you say is your biggest gap right now that you might want to address in regards to like uh, a gap in your understanding of the world or your perspective that you feel like you haven't as much been exposed to that you, you'd maybe be interested in, in addressing? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, that's a pretty big one. Um, can, can you frame that for me in another way? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, and to be fair, I think sometimes when we use these absolute terms, it becomes very hard to answer a question. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be your, your biggest gap, if you will, but just something that given the fact that you have been able to at times have a little bit more of a bird's eye view and yeah. and and view things from from multiple perspectives and, and kind of float in between things. I'm just curious, kind of moving into this next phase of life, is there anything that you feel like like right now you would identify, actually, here's one way of putting it, that like in five years, you think you might look back and say, oh, like I, I really wasn't paying attention to this enough, or I, I really wish I had opened my eyes to this aspect of, of, of existence a little bit more. And I know that's a very hard question to answer because, you know, you're not clairvoyant, but uh, I'm just curious if there's anything right now you're kind of you, you might identify as a gap if someone this is almost like an interview question, if you will, if someone was like, yeah. what are you, what are you missing right now? I know in like the most abstract possible sense to, to make it super easy to answer. Okay. No, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. I have like a tiny technical thing, um, but an actual, um, I think more relevant answer. I've like for years said like, Oh, I'm just, I'm embarrassingly bad at geography and history. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and just kind mm -hmm. of use that as in like, oh, well, I don't know it. Sorry. It's yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> um, and, and so like <laughs> this is a small detail of my life. I've I've realized, well, uh, then I could do something about that. Mm -hmm. um, and so recently I'm watching through there's a series of it's like a world history crash course. You can find it on YouTube. Actually, they're awesome mm -hmm. little episodes. Um, but I've been trying to kind of do something about that, I, you know, mm -hmm. identifying where I think I'm lacking and then following through. But an actual gap so, that, so that's kind of a cheat answer. That's like the, oh, my worst mm. quality is that I'm just so hard. <laughs> you know, I, I answered it too positively. Mm. But um, something that is very relevant right now, and, and especially because I am kind of closing this gap, um, I find myself um, a, a little bit bitter in some ways just after this year and after um, certain experiences um, that I've had. Um, and I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I do go um, to a therapist who I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And one thing he asked me is like, how do you want to, how do you want to close your time out here? You know, like, how do you want to remember this? And I mm -hmm. think, and another thing he's, he's uh, said to me in a lot of different ways is what is, you know, what, what does the Rachel you are becoming say about that? And, and mm. kind of asks me to consult with my future self, you know, we're, we're on this path and we're becoming a person and the mm. person you're becoming has already experienced the things you're currently experiencing. Um, right. And I guess so literally closing that gap in some ways is something that I'm trying to get back into, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, because I'm like, I, I have an amazing experience here and I, I have had some incredible opportunities and relationships and experiences and, um, and just, uh, you know, 
life uh, moments, you know, traveling mm-hmm. and, and meeting people, whatever it is. Um, and you choose, you know, how, how you solidify that, you know, if you mm-hmm. put something in amber, you know what I mean? You choose how you yeah. do it. And I, so I think working to continuously consult with who I'll be in the future um, and ask myself, you know, am I today being who I want to be to get to who I will be becoming? Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Um, so yeah, like, yeah, no, definitely. Literally like trying to kind of close a gap a little bit, you know, like mm-hmm. realize like the me of the future is me currently in some time. So mm-hmm. I can I can work both of those people together presently, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. What about you? What's a what's a kind of gap you're working on? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it one it's one I've been working on for a while, and it's it's one that I I suspect I'll be working on for for the rest of my life. Sure. But I think one of the hardest things for me on a day to day basis is just acknowledging that there is there's nothing to be gained from me feeling bad or I guess I'll say guilty about my experience or any, any positivity that I might find in that. And it's, it's something I've spoken to a little bit before, but it's, it's become, it's something I never had any trouble with. So I guess I'm just very lucky and privileged in that sense. Um, until about a couple of years ago, it just wasn't something that I, had any sort of a relationship with I felt like I didn't really have a hard time with that but recently as of late due to due to my experiences and, and the fact that essentially you know the person that for 18 20 most of my life um, was a person that I was closest to uh, in, in every imaginable way has been suffering in a, in a very deep and unrelatable and almost unimaginable way for the past couple of years and particularly so recently it's been so challenging for me at times to not play that game of uh like do i deserve to be enjoying my life in the way that i do uh and it it, it is that place that my mind goes when i allow it to and i think everyone has that to some extent especially survivor's guilt almost uh, but right tailored to a certain experience Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, like I said, when I kind of slow things down and I relax into things, it's, it's always a thought that comes up. It's always a place that I go and I have to have be in constant conversation with this, mm-hmm. with this line of thinking. And it's, it's not, it's definitely not easy. And, uh, I think particularly so it, it often comes up in, in the higher moments for me. And when I, when I feel like I, I should be enjoying something the most, and then there's this, this thing that your brain can do to essentially just flip it and, and, and feel guilty about being there by comparison to someone else's experience that you really care about and don't fully understand. Yeah. And I've, I've been trying to do a lot of work on that front to, to have a better relationship with that with that line of of inquiry or even just being able to to recognize the lack of utility there and and the fact that the the best that i can do for for anyone is is to be the most kind of patient and non-judgmental and aware version of myself uh for for those in my life 
and that there's there's like i said from the start there's nothing to be gained there but it is as i said this constant conversation that that sometimes doesn't go very well yeah. and just being able to to navigate that and to to maintain a certain I guess maybe gratitude is the word I might be looking for here as opposed to to guilt, uh, especially in not to even necessarily get into the details of it, but even just like because I'm someone who has the ideas that I've spoken to a little bit about free will and, and even things like luck. And I can acknowledge that a lot of this is like a, a huge matter of luck, like <laughs> that this, you know, that it's it was kind of a, a flip of a coin and, and it's especially kind of salient because of how similar we are i mean i'm, I'm talking about my brother who mm-hmm. we essentially like growing up people thought we were twins you know like genetically we're as similar as it gets yeah. um and it was kind of a coin flip that i I mean, and it, not to be simplistic, but that that things panned out the way they did for me versus how they did for him, um, at least up until this point. And that that is a huge that's a that's a fucking alligator to wrestle with uh, yeah. on a on a day to day basis. And so yeah. I think that for me right now is just being able to navigate that and and have a certain give myself a little grace in that sense and, and to acknowledge that uh, that there's nothing to be gained there and that, that no one who cares about me and loves me would, would want me to be feeling bad about these sorts of, these kind of absurd turns of luck in life and yeah. that I ended up on one side or another. And I know that it, it gets a little, a little heavy there to talk about it, but at least in terms of my individual experience, but at the same time, I think everyone is there on some level or another and it's it's just more prescient for me because of these things that I've highlighted that everybody, you know, just the, the simple facts of, of reality for people like, you know, the fact that you were not born in a, a country that was in a civil war or that you were. Or... Right. <laughs> There's so many things that you just didn't control at all and that yeah. that affect your experience, everything about you, your, your genetics, who your parents were, where you grew up, all of these things that, that no one chose, no one can take ownership of. And they obviously have a huge impact on how our life goes and what our experience is like. So, um, yeah, I think at least to try to keep it applicable and not make it too much about myself, that it's just one of those things that I think everyone has to constantly try to try to deal with and, and, and manage a certain uh, perspective on to not to not in their moments of success or, or joy to to feel like they ought to not feel that way or uh, whatever it may be but I think that's I think that's when I'll be on for a while and uh, yeah. I, I think I'm in a better place than I, I was a few years ago so I think I'm I'm happy to, to say that but at the same time it's just it, it's always there and it's always a uh, it's always a challenge yeah oh yeah and um I think a lot of people do it very, very different from your situation, but just in their individual, like we compare ourselves to our own selves a lot of the time. And, and I've noticed so many people who, when they're happy, uh, are like, well, 
I'm going to be sad at some point, or this is going to end at some point. Like, so, you know, when we're happy, we choose to be sad. But when we're sad, we're not worried about when we're going to be happy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When things are good, we're worried about when they're going to be bad again. When they're bad, we're not like, oh, I'm going to, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can't be bad because it's going to get good again. You know, it's like, why do we continue? Why do we insist on, um, you know, on, on, it's, I think it's a self-preservation thing in a way Mm -hmm. too. You know, it's, uh, which is a little bit different from your scenario, but it gives you an opportunity, which it seems like you're grabbing to face those things, um, you know, head mm-hmm. on, you know, you, you have to do it like yes or yes. Um, and it mm-hmm. will continue to come up in, in your life as everybody else's. You know, I think we, mm-hmm. we just struggle with good things because we're so afraid of their fragility. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always said, and if you're in a good time, you know, like soak it up, like that's energy, and you're not gonna be, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're not. Right. It, it is gonna get bad. It is gonna get sad. It is gonna get hard another time, you know. And so, like, mm-hmm. if you if you have a good a good place, like fill your energy bank because later it's gonna drop, you know. But right. if you're in a, a good spot and you're happy and you drop your energy tank, then like later on it's just gonna be even harder. Um, mm-hmm. Which it sounds, and, and that's difficult when there are things that are outside of yourself, you know given your situation um Mm -hmm. you know it's not just within you that just gives it a different dimension um Mm -hmm. but i I think it's great the the perspective you have you know you really take on that that airplane perspective you've got to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help somebody else Mm -hmm. um you know you've got to fill your cup before you can overflow onto somebody else um Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of strength um and a lot of self-awareness um and intention uh, so so yeah. I do commend you um, for that. I think that's great. Um, and, and in the end, like what you're saying, like, you know, you, you get dealt a certain hand, you know, you don't you don't necessarily choose the mm-hmm. hand you're dealt in life. Um, but right. uh, as Paul Newman says in Cool Hand Luke, sometimes nothing can be a pretty cool hand. Um, you know, yeah. you choose <laughs> you choose how you work with it. You, you really do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really uh, inspiring to to hear you um be honest with yourself too that you are working on it that it's not always easy um you know and that that it is a process and you gotta you gotta like give in to the process everything is a process you, you know mm-hmm. if, if it weren't then you know if we weren't evolving and growing and moving then you know we'd be dead um yeah. <laughs> you know I, I heard a saying one time from a nice southern man if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten. Um, you know, like <laughs> you're, you're never quite there, you know. And so if you dig mm-hmm. into the process, um, then it's more enjoyable. Or Jim Carrey, actually, in this documentary, Jim and Andy, um, about the he played Andy. Mm-hmm. What's his name? The the crazy comedian. But he, he there was a documentary about his experience playing mm-hmm. him. Um, and he said, you know, everybody's always talking about like, oh, I wish I didn't have this problem. I wish I didn't have this problem. You know, it'd be easier if this wasn't there, if I didn't have to worry about paying that. And he's like, you're yearning for your own death. You know, you, mm. you only don't have problems or things to, to work through when you're dead, mm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. which kind of brings full circle back to, you know, the whole trade-off conversation. And, you know, you've mm. got to you're paying for something. So, you know, choose your values and, and how you're going to have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems like the the kind of mindset you have overall where you can recognize, you know, some things you have to pay for uh, against your own will or choice. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're doing it, then you need to find the value in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I certainly try to. I, I can, of course, acknowledge that on, on a day-to-day basis, it's not always that, uh, <laughs> doesn't always map onto reality but uh yeah i mean that's the the 
the value certainly is is in the journey and and in the process as you said of, of just just trying to to feel everything for for what it is and and to maintain a sense of perspective and a just as often as you can even though it's obviously not all the time and we live most of our lives kind of under a microscope if you will but as often as you can just have a moment to to have that that pullback even if it's just to to get to a magnifying glass from a from a microscope that that to have at least a moment of that even though you probably dive back in a few minutes later sure. can can be enough to to bridge the gap into as I've said a few times today, allow it just to not be quite as weighty and, and heavy as it as it otherwise can be when we're just really locked into what what we feel like we understand or, or perceive about ourselves and, and our place in the world and uh, even just how others think about us or you know what what we ought to be doing, ought to be feeling. Mm-hmm. Not that there's any of that. Not that that really means anything. I think it's just kind of a funny thing that we we say. We, we talk about what ought ought to be or we ought to do, but should should be psychology, you know, I should be here. I should be that like, according to <laughs> what? Like, you know, right. yeah, it, it has to be predicated by some sort of uh, some sort of something, some sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess from a non-religious perspective, it, it, it falls apart. Maybe you could, from a religious perspective, you could say, okay, like, this is what, this is what God thinks I ought to do. But I feel like a lot of times secular people still speak in this way that like has kind of this, it assumes that there's some sort of other force out there that is like, you know, suggesting, you know, is, is pushing in a certain direction or that there is some sort of, I just feel like a should or an ought has to be attached to some sort of uh unmoved mover out there uh that i always thought was kind of a hole in in that use but i still say it you know i still use these (laughs) as as we've spoken about language is is limited and we we use the words that we have and the ones that we know um but we don't always really mean what we say (laughs) yeah i can agree with that yeah well i know that you're you're coming up on a stop time so I, i want to to allow us to to bring things full circle here um but one final thing I was just going to ask before we go, and, and you can keep it brief if you need to, um, out of respect of time. But I'm just curious, after everything we've talked about and all that you've shared, is there is there anything you would identify as like a way in which you feel like you are most commonly misunderstood by people that, that don't really know you or that just like know you in a surface sense or even only know you in regards to this conversation that you feel like, is, is an aspect of yourself, your identity that you don't feel like always comes through? Um, that's a great question. And that's something I, um, I do think about often. Um, and actually, I had a, a great conversation with your wife in, in one of our Spanish lessons that we do about oh, yeah. this kind of concept. Yeah, um, like I guess my thought of your projected self and your internal self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I, I often come across as like pe- people say I'm just so nice or I'm just so happy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and not, not that I don't think I am, but mm-hmm. I find sometimes when I get a little bit too deep in my head, I wonder like, am, am I doing something wrong? Because like, I have mean mm-hmm. thoughts, you know, I have <laughs> negative feelings, you know, I, mm-hmm. and I'm like, am, am I like hiding all of that? Um, you know, am I not projecting myself adequately, you know, like, cause, mm-hmm. cause it's, uh, which is kind of funny, um. But I, I think in the end, you know, we have this internal self and we have this projected self and your internal self, you more or less choose. Um, but I would say it's a bit more of a reactive state and mm. your projected self can be as well. Um, you know, a lot of people are very reactive, um, mm-hmm. but with intention and care, it can be a responsive um, state. I, mm-hmm. I would define the difference between reacting and responding as as choice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a reaction is, you know, just something that it cause and effect, but a response is cause, you know, choice and, and, and response. You, you know what I'm trying to say right. with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I think I, I often want to express, you know, like I, I internally have a lot of questions and, and issues and insecurities and, and you know, negativity and, uh, mm-hmm. and darkness. We, we all do. You know, oh, yeah. we, we have a darkness within us um, and whether I choose to express it or not doesn't have anything to do with whether it exists, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's probably about all all I have to, to say for that. I'm sure I could go a little bit more, um, but mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in spirit of responding, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to limit myself limit myself to that um mm. well and what about you before we close i'm, I'm curious hmm. yeah i guess i've to be fair i feel like i've i've been asked this question before mm-hmm. so i do have kind of a a uh, curated response to it but <laughs> I, I would say it's the most honest one and i think i i generally read as a very patient person i think it's it's something that, that anyone even those who know me very well would It'd be one of the first words they'd use to describe me. Um, and I don't always feel as though that's honestly that true. I, I, I do feel as though I have a certain disposition or a temperament by nature, like even hearing from my mother, like as a, as a baby, I, I already had this kind of inclination to be, uh, to be what you might call patient or just willing to wait uh, for things in general. Um, and I think it's something that generally it manifests itself pretty accurately in my life. I, I'm definitely not a, a pushy person. I, I'm usually fine in traffic, uh, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, um, I don't know if it's really how my brain works. I think I just maybe at a very young age, I thought it was important to, um, to be willing to wait for things. Uh, not that it was like I... I didn't have any trouble with it or that I didn't uh, I think maybe what I'm trying to speak to as far as the disconnect is that I think people maybe feel as though I don't um, that it, it comes naturally or that I'm like that I, I have no desire I have no like I don't care about time or I, I'm just kind of uh, super laid back in that sense and I, I don't know that that's necessarily it I just I think a as a as the youngest child uh, in my family, I feel like at times it was normal for me to just wait for things. Uh, you know, I shared a bathroom with three other people, and 
I think anyone who has siblings can, can relate to something like that. But, um, I think sometimes it just gets a little bit misconstrued as like me just being this person that like isn't phased by anything, um, where it's more that, uh, a, it's something that I, I try really hard to, to, as I've spoken to before, maybe just like give people some grace in situations and maybe assume the best, even when that's probably not the most self-serving thing to do. Where mm-hmm. I, I usually try to jump to the conclusion of like, there's, there has to be an explanation here. This mm-hmm. isn't like any sort of, uh, maybe as we've spoken to, like to have that pullback and be like, this, this traffic is not a slide on me. Um, yeah. Like this isn't, this isn't someone trying to fuck it's me personal. over. Like it's, it's happening to all of us. Um, and there's probably a good explanation for this, even when someone's late for something or, or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of talked around that one a little bit. So to be fair, not the most refined response, but I, I guess my point ultimately being like, um, I just feel like what people call patience manifests itself differently from, from my perspective and my internal experience. Uh, but it's we don't necessarily have a word for what I'm trying to describe or what I experience. So I think it's fair to call it patience and it's not that it's wrong, but for me, I feel like it just the way that people perceive it and read it, it's it's usually a little different than that for me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very similar but different to my answer where it's kind of missing the, you know, the cogs and the gears behind what's coming out and what's mm-hmm. happening inside. You know, it's, yeah, I think we often do that. We read other people's um, experiences or, or expression um, at surface value or at face value at surface level. Um, Mm -hmm. forgetting that we, you know, have this depth um, behind everything that we do and say as well, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? (laughs) Yeah. um, So I think it it kind of relates. We all just have our own version of it, you know? You know, Mm -hmm. what's going on behind the scenes that that isn't exposed, that isn't there. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I think that's part of the reason I asked the question is because I think at the end of the day, there is that, as we luckily have spoken to already, there's that disconnect that it, the way that people think about us and whatever labels they put on us, it's, it never really tells the full story. So even if it is relatively accurate, like it is, I mean, I I think you're a rather nice person. It seems, you know, like I don't think that's untrue for what I mean by it, but at the same time, it is a little bit blind to what it's like to be you and, and what really contributes to that. And what I maybe assume is like a, an obvious virtue of character to you may not seem like that at all. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I, 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 think, I think sometimes that can kind of, um, when we, when we put those labels on other people, it almost just kind of creates this internal, uh, conflict, you know, or, or questioning where you're like, you know, well, people see me as this, but I don't necessarily completely identify with it. You know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. Is that something that's disconnecting internally, you know, where you're like, I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily patient, um, you know, I just have right. to, to work with these things, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, this, it sometimes causes this questioning, which is just a great cause for self-reflection, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's almost like that, you know, what is our, our virtual presence versus our real presence, you know what I mean? Like, am I, right. am I putting something out that's not actually accurate? You know, you kind of, I, I kind of question my, uh, my, uh, my, sense of reality you know and and times Mm -hmm. or sense of awareness but it's great i think it's good to question it and then you just have to you know bridge that gap and say no this is where it comes from this is my behind the scenes you know Mm -hmm. and and i know that and value that 
Right. Yeah. I mean, that's where the the good old imposter syndrome loves yes. to loves to come into play. And I guess maybe that's a conversation for another day. But well, that's a great closing uh, point too. <laughs> you know, welcome to imposter syndrome and goodbye. This is imposter syndrome. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I guess just because I can't. Um, I can't help myself. It's uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think often we we get attached, we get too attached to either version of our mm-hmm. identities. That it's it's either the the perceived self or it's it's the internal self. But at the same time, my my thesis is maybe being too attached to either is mm-hmm. is is detrimental, and it feels like the antithesis of one is like to. To reject the perceived self, you have to totally say, well, okay, whatever is internal, whatever I experience on what I understand to be the deepest level is the real me. But at the same time, you know, maybe it's it's not that simple either in that what you are isn't isn't important to uh, pin down or a label in any sense. And uh, maybe the answer is, is somewhere in the middle, as uh, as I often say. But um, yeah. Yeah, you know, and not not necessarily that your internal or your perceived self is the imposter, or maybe they both are. You you know, right. <laughs> uh, we don't have to label one as as one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're here for, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I I really appreciate you doing this. I'll let you get out of here, but I, I've had a really good time just kind of wandering through this this conversation with you, and uh, it's it's been a pleasure, and I, I certainly hope that we can do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've really enjoyed this, uh, this whole experience. Thank you for great questions and, and really great reflection points too. Um, kind of reflecting on, on life as a whole, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been wonderful. And uh, thank you all for joining and we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks.